Hello everyone, and welcome back. How do y'all do? Now, I've got a question, everyone. Can you see my lighting? How do I look? Frankly, I don't feel like I look super different. Um, how's this going? What do we What do we think here? Do I look terribly different? I feel like, you know, the lighting might be a little bit smoother. Might be a little kind of, uh, you know, a little flatter, a little better distributed. Basically, um, I... Oh, by the way, I figured out I can get this sweet, like anime bad guy effect if I angle my head just right with my glasses and what all. Hold on, let me see if I can figure this out. Hmm. Something like this. Hmm. It was better before. I don't know why it's bad now. Hold on. What if I turn up? No, let's not mess with that. Anyway, um, I went and, uh, as y'all may know, I'm a bit of a scrounger. I really, really love to find stuff that I know I'll get some use out of in the future. And I found, y'all seen those big lamps? The big, like, blimp lamps, sort of an upset. You know what? I can just show you, can't I? Um, so this thing, you ever seen these? These Japanese lantern style things, but you know how Japanese lanterns typically are about, uh, you know, maybe a, a foot and a sphere. These guys, I'm sure you've seen them before. There are like pillars that are like three feet tall, but the same sort of diameter. So it's like a, a big pillar of Japanese sort of rice paper lantern style thing. And I found just the cover for one. I was like, I know what I'm doing with that. That's gonna turn into some nice diffused light for uh, what I guess I can call my studio now. I guess I can call it that. That's kind of what I called it before anyway, but yeah, it's just <laughs> it's just where my desk is. Um, it needs a better name than that, let's be honest. It needs a much better name than that. That's, that, that name's a goofball. We need something better. Uh, the haberdashery, because I've got my, my hat collection, but then I just sound like a huge nerd. Anyway, uh, I bought a couple of... Um, I should put this in the creativity channel in Discord, shouldn't I? Uh, <laughs> uh, I bought a couple of work lights, just like the can clamp lights, and then I took the can off, uh, so I just had essentially like a little dangling outlet for a light bulb on a cord, and then I electrical taped those onto a dowel and shoved the dowel through this thing in, and uh, now I've got it sort of mounted on a piece of old, um, <laughs> a piece of old photography uh, hardware that I found in the like discard place at my old apartment. Basically, what I want all of you to know is that I, when y'all are making donations and such here, not an ounce of it is going to waste. I am very frugal. <laughs> Tenacious says study to studio sounds fancy. Yeah, I like study better, honestly. Um Oh, I'm actually looking kinda you know, there's like it's like it's really bright, frankly. It's kind of odd. Um uh, Orly Rose says haberdashery, but also motorcycle dashboard. Yeah, I mean we call the the Discord, I've been calling it the the sidecar stories garage for a while. That's kind of fun. Maybe this is like the this is the shop. Maybe this is the shop. That's, that's not bad. That's not bad at all. Like, I gotta take my car to the shop? I I, I don't know. I, I will be honest with y'all. The, the sort of... The motif escapes me at certain junctures. I don't keep track of it super well all the time. Y'all, hello. Welcome back. It's good to see everybody. My name is Sam and this is Sidecar Stories, but if you're here for this one, you may well already know that. Um, I stream stories and stuff. That's the that's the basics of it. Istrioplastis says I'm losing some chapters for that reason. Basistas. I am uh, looking for some chapters. Losing? Interesting. 
Istrioplastis, you might have to help me out with that one. Uh, have a great night. Thanks for dropping in. Uh, Dolly says, be cautious of potentially NSJW jokes here. We do try to keep our streams as clean as possible. These are classified as edutainment. But yes, dear, don't. Uh, I can't wait for Percy Jackson to begin. Indeed, yep. So these are our Thursday streams, and I I am doing nobody any favors. Not my not you folks, good folks at home who are watching, certainly not my mods, by having it sort of be different. But yes, Thursday nights, these are our like most family-friendly streams. So, Dahlia, thank you very much. I appreciate you. Let's see. What else we got here? I didn't see I didn't see what the what the goof was in the first place, but it's good to have y'all here. Plague Deity, how you doing? I thought this was a video game stream, says Plague Deity. You thought wrong. You thought wrong. <laughs> Oh boy. Maybe the shop. I think I like the shop right now. We'll see. We'll see. Y'all, I hope everyone's doing well. Uh, I hope you're prepared for today. Um, today I was like, ooh boy. I can either do like 28,000 words. Y'all may, y'all know me. I try to hit about 12,000 words in a night. That's what wraps up fairly nicely in about three hours. Last week we did, I think it was north of 25,000 words. That's a lot of words. Um, and then this week, I was looking at it like, oh man, that was, I mean, that was a lot. I don't know if I can try to approach that again, much less try to do 28,000 words. And then I realized, I got everything done last week that I was hoping to accomplish. And as such, I could nerf like 5,000 words off of that, because it was the end of the last book. And so now we just need the beginning of this book and I can hit six chapters today. And so that's the plan. That's the plan. We hit uh, north of 25,000 words last week, and this week I was worried we were gonna have to either do 28,000 words or split it up into like, um, let's see, like what, 14 and 14-ish? And I was gonna be really disappointed about that because that means just like another week of waiting beyond what we should normally have to do. And uh, yeah, uh, this is gonna be a six chapter day, gang. How do y'all feel about that? And uh, kind of, Compared to last week, it's actually going to be a bit better because these chapters are in order. It is just the first six chapters of Percy Jackson and the Olympians, book three, The Titan's Curse. Because I started it when I was on vacation. And so the uh, the, the, the the episodes, they were A, they were trash, and B, um, even if I had wanted to collect those as the permanent record of the beginning of book three... It, my computer couldn't keep up with the recording of it. I could have pulled them off of Twitch, but in that case, I would just be getting a poor recording, uh, uh, sort of fidelity-wise, of a poor recording, sort of production-wise. And that's not what I wanted. <laughs> Rose says, I guarantee Reseda's chat is 74,000 words. Uh, well, that is that sounds great to me. Um, if y'all are wondering if we've got any new folks in here, we've got any old folks who are just not quite sure what I'm up to these days, uh, you can find me here Tuesdays through Thursdays right now. I don't typically run through this at the beginning of a stream, but hey, how's it going, y'all? I'm Sam. I stream story stuff. Uh, Tuesdays through Thursdays. On Tuesdays, we've got Vintage Sidecar, where we shed some light on classic lit Murder on the Orient Express. We're near the beginning, so now's the time to jump on. Second... We have got, uh, on Wednesdays, we've got Side Cannons. That is the tabletop RPG wing of Sidecar Stories, because I think some of the best stories being told right now are being told with a roll of the dice. We're doing some world building. We're doing a lot of world building, and those are fun streams. So, noon Pacific time on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and of course, 
Hello, welcome to Thursdays. This is Flying Sidecar, where uh, we've got a voice actor's venture through some stories that we all love. And tonight, we're doing some catch-up, right? I'm going to gauge y'all's tolerance for another one of these next week, because I think at this point, we will have, I believe, all of the missing chapters. But there are a few in the sort of at the top of um, uh, the Percy Jackson series that are tough to listen. Not sorry, not Percy Jackson. Nope. Harry Potter. Um, book one of Harry Potter has a couple of streams, two specifically, uh, that could probably use some extra work. Um, so, I'm going to gauge y'all's tolerance for that, and if y'all are thinking, like, I just want to get into the next book, can we just do that? Um, I'll be doing that over in Discord, because I know not everybody shows up for these sort of catch-up streams. I am doing quite well, Joyful. How are you doing? Hello. And I'm not sure I recognize that name, but, I mean, you know me by, by name. Mine by, mine by name. Excuse me. Excuse me. What was all that? You know me by, by name. I can't say it. Ooh, this is weird. I don't get these very often. You know me by my name. There we go. Um, but, uh, yeah, Joyful, it's ringing a bell, but it's been a while, right? Gwendog says, hey, friends, rough couple of days here. Looking forward to bolting home to catch the end of the stream. Catch up night tonight, too? Yes, indeed. Um, and you should have plenty to catch up with, uh, Gwen, because the, uh, well, tonight we're doing six chapters, so buckle up. Some of them are short-ish, but we're not talking, like, super short. Uh, which means we probably need to kind of get into it. Uh, Joyful, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna level with you, Joyful. I'm probably gonna call you Joyful. Alright? Because I'm gonna have a hard time keeping track of who's who. But, I am curious, what was the old name? What, like, cause if, if I've got history with you, if I, if I already know who you are, I wanna know, I wanna know that you've changed, otherwise I'll just think someone has disappeared out of my stream life. <laughs> Ah, DJs all over the place. I got you. Okay, I recognize that one. Not a, not a deep history, but hey, I'm glad to have you back. Uh, Plague Deity, thank you very, very much for the gift subs. I appreciate you. Appreciate you a lot. Um, and I want to say hello to some of the new followers. Uh, I see Hoss, who I'm going to go ahead and say I think Hoss has re-followed me like three times at this point. It's good to see you, Hoss. I'm a little, I'm a little nervous you're a bot, if I'm frank, because it's Haas and then a bunch of random numbers and then an underscore. I don't trust that. So Haas, say hello. Otherwise, I'm going to assume you're up to some ne'er-do-well. Uh, but then we've got uh, Zenshichi, which I hope I'm pronouncing correctly, or Zenshichi. Uh, don't know which one it is. I think Zen hopefully should be an appropriate shortening. Zen, thank you very much for joining us for uh, the side cannon stuff. I didn't think you were gonna like, I thought you might stop in and, you know, enjoy hanging out for a little bit and then flit away, but you're in the Discord and you're doing some crazy good world building. Right now I'm looking for factions, uh, so if y'all have an idea for like a cool fantasy gang or pirates or a cult or a religion or like a, 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 a troop of knights that are all super theatrical or something. Now's the time to go get those in, because that's the homework for this week. You can find more information about that over in the Realm of Recetus chat over in Discord. And if you want to find the Discord, you can find that right here in the links that are popping up right now. Linktree slash sidecar stories, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash sidecar stories. And then, of course, Skodavush! <laughs> Welcome. Good to have you here. Um, Dahlia says, hmm, I don't even see Haas on the viewer list or the chat, but welcome regardless. 
Indeed, yeah, who knows? I don't know. Haas refollowed like 25 minutes ago, and it might be different Hosses every time, because I don't keep track of what the numbers are. All right, and now I've said all of the like the boilerplate stuff. I've said all the stuff that I have to remember to say, like here's the link and come to the Discord and all that good stuff. And now I'm going to slough off the robot, which sounds like an incredible dance move, but it's not. Frankly, it's just me trying to like check out of streamer brain, because sometimes I just get a little bit too much into like show mode which isn't always bad, it helps me to sort of like keep up with things. Um, but at the same time, it's it's kind of like, it's kind of robotic and I don't, that's not what I want to be. So let's see, what's a good way to get out of this? I'm just gonna ask you all a, a, a weird question and I don't have one in mind, I'm just gonna ask a weird one because it seems like a fun way to sort of get myself checked out of stream brain. Let's see, what was the last thing you painted? That's what I want to know, chat. Now, you may have to remind me, but I'm gonna try and come back and visit this question. I wanna see what answers you have in chat. And this can be like, as an artistic pursuit, or just like, uh, there was a really bad dent on my car or something, or <laughs> like, repainted a bathroom. I wanna know what the last thing you painted was. Boom, there's my weird question at the top of the art, uh, the, the, the top of the, the stream. All right, now I'm gonna come back to that for a second, but, First, I wanna talk about a bit of review, okay? Because this is the beginning of a book, right? We gotta talk about review. We gotta know what we're coming from. So, books one and two. Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief, in which Percy Jackson discovers that he is not just a regular kid with ADHD and you know some trouble in school. There's a reason for all that. He's a demigod. He is the son of a human on one side, his mom, and a god on the other. More specifically, one of the ancient Greek gods who are still very well alive and well today in the world, but sort of hidden underneath. Now, over the course of that first book, uh, Percy is accused of stealing Zeus's lightning bolt to try and aid in sort of a, a, a battle for supremacy between some of the gods, but it turns out this is all a plot by one of the titans. The titans living down, uh, specifically Kronos, sort of the, the the lord of all titans, as we are to understand it for these series. Um, Percy has to go on a big romp across the United States to get to Los Angeles, to get to Hades, who they believe has the bolt. Turns out, not so much, but ultimately Percy does manage to prevent this war from breaking out. He finds the bolt, because it's been planted on him, and... At the end, they manage to get the bolt back to Zeus. They manage to get everything sort of back where it belongs. He makes some friends, makes some enemies, certainly, especially the god of war, Ares, and that's it. But he feels like he's kind of got a home now, and he's got new friends. Grover, the satyr, whose uh, mission in life is to find the nature god Pan, who disappeared long ago. Um, we've got uh, Annabeth, she is uh, a daughter of uh, Athena. I always get Athena and Artemis confused. Daughter of Athena and uh, a great tactician, great fighter. Um, he's got friends now, and he feels like he's got a place here. Book two, The Sea of Monsters. Things can't go great forever, right? Uh, turns out this this mission that uh, that Grover is on to find Pan, it takes him to a place out in the middle of the ocean somewhere, and we find that this is indeed the Sea of Monsters. Uh, he is sort of lost out there, trapped by um, it. Some enormous creature, which we later find out is the is Polyphemus, the one-eyed. Um, 
Hey folks, I can't remember what the one-eyed ones are called. I'm totally blanking. And of course, stream brain, it means that my brain is so dedicated to finding the next thing to say that it won't stop and think about one thing for very long. So let me just... Cyclops. There it is. It was in a back drawer somewhere. <laughs> I don't know why I couldn't hunt that one down. So, um... Uh, Grover has been captured by Cyclops out in the middle of the ocean, which we find out now is the Bermuda Triangle. The Sea of Monsters, which was once in the Mediterranean, has kind of moved, and Percy and Annabeth have to go hunt him down. But they're not alone. Uh, they've got a new friend. It's Percy's half-brother, and Percy's half-brother is also a Cyclops, but a young one, eight or nine years old-ish. Um, and Percy kind of denies being related to him for a while because he's fairly embarrassing. You know, it's a little bit like having your kid brother, like, running around and, and uh, you know, causing trouble, causing mischief, not really understanding the flow of a good adventure and how your, how your mythical quest, your odyssey has to go. Maybe more along the lines of, like, I'll go grab some donuts. <laughs> and I'm seeing a lot over here in chat, so let me go ahead and address this. Plague Deity, Dahlia, and Plague Deity a number of times. Thank you both very, very much. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Dahlia says, Hype Train, we need one more person to throw in a gift to get this one started. Hey, a, a Hype Train at the top of a stream, that would be something. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, it requires three separate people. So Plague Deity and Dahlia have the two of them. But, uh, y'all, we've had, I mean, it's been a, it, y'all have been on top of your stuff this last week. So I appreciate it very, very much. I appreciate it greatly. Um, all right. Where were we at in our review? Percy goes off on his way here. And ultimately, we just find out more about kind of the conflict between the gods. Um... The gods don't get along terribly well, and they don't treat their children terribly well. Uh, which is why we've got this sort of new villain as of the end of book one, which is Luke. Luke, one of the campers, uh, son of Hermes, the god of Hermes, Hermes, uh, the god of uh, sort of messenger god, thieves, etc. Um, and he's turned bad. He works for Kronos now, essentially, and he poisoned this tree, as we find out at the end, uh, when they return with the, the Golden Fleece. They managed to defeat Polyphemus, get this Golden Fleece, and that's the end, right? Except they get the Golden Fleece home, and it does what it's supposed to do. It enacts its nature healing, specifically on the tree. The tree sort of up on the hill above Camp Half-Blood, the one created by Zeus out of his own daughter in order to protect her. I'll put that in some tentative quotes. And it does its job a little too well. It doesn't just heal the tree. It heals it so well that it makes it purely nature and spits out that thing that's not quite in line with all of that. Talia herself. And that's when we realize at the end of the last book just what the big plan was. Kronos' big plot. It wasn't simply to poison the tree and try to weaken the camp a little bit. It was always about the prophecy. The prophecy that before their 16th birthday, one of the demigods was going to basically be the final piece in the war between the gods and the titans. They were going to be the deciding factor. And that's where we're at. 
Percy Jackson must be him, but now there's another pawn on the table. Talia, daughter of Zeus, gone for, I think it was about seven years, trapped in a tree, and that's it. That's where we are. Joyful. What I drew lately was Henny Moment by the Black Lake. Let's see. I don't remember one by the Black Lake. Oh, wait, is the Black Lake just the one that's that's on like the Hogwarts grounds? I, I only know it as the lake because in the text, I don't think it's mentioned as the Black Lake, but I could be totally wrong. Because, yeah, in, in my head, the Black Lake is the one that's underground at which some things are hidden. I don't want to give spoilers for anyone who hasn't charged through that already. And I will tell you all as the final note before we go into uh, the answers that y'all gave about the last thing that you painted. Um, I've got the beginning of book five, like the first uh, first eight chapters, I think, of book five, now available up on Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts. So go ahead and follow the links here to the Discord. I will soon have um, a command dedicated just to give you, it'll just spit the, um, the, the link straight to the back catalog at you. Once I'm done with Harry Potter, I'm going to be moving on to Percy Jackson and then the vintage sidecars. So, you know, Frankenstein, etc. Um, and then after that, we'll do some of the gaming stuff, uh, specifically the tabletop RPG stuff. The, like, video game stuff, I don't think there's a chance that'll ever end up on, like, podcast format, because that just doesn't work. <laughs> but uh, head on over there, or just wherever you find your podcasts, go ahead and search for Flying Sidecar. And if you like the Vintage Sidecar, well, boy howdy, search for Vintage Sidecar. <laughs> and then uh, the tabletop RPG stuff will be under the title Side Cannons when the time comes. So, there we have it, folks. There you are, folks. Let's see. What did y'all paint? Joyful says, a Harry and Ginny love moment. Fantastic. Uh, Orly Rose says, my nails. Uh, emphatically says, my nails. Moonlight says, the art I did of Artemis. Fantastic. Yep, I saw that over in Discord. And y'all, if you aren't posting this stuff over in Discord into the creativity channel, uh, you can start your own thread if you wish. Which essentially means you get your own channel to just, like, continue to post your art. And if you had one and it disappeared, you can revive it by posting in there again. Just search through the archive uh, threads. Um, so I hope to see some of this stuff over in Discord. I think that would be pretty great. Put it up in there. Put it up in there. Uh, let's see. Istrioplastis says, the girl from Tokyo Ghoul in a stone. I am not familiar enough with Tokyo Ghoul to know um, how someone would end up in a stone. I Let's see. Tokyo Ghoul, I haven't really dipped my toes into that one at all. Um, I would say the closest I've gotten is maybe, like, Psychopaths? And I know, like, I know there's probably a, a huge difference, but that's the closest I've approached to that sort of corner of the anime uh, canon. Dahlia says, good question. I'll have to think about what I painted last. Well, you get on it, Dahlia. I want to know. Um, it, it may be super boring, says Dahlia, but I painted some homemade shipping crates with a mold-slash-mildew-resistant coat of paint. <laughs> I tell you what, it's it's... It's not, like, fascinating in an artistic sense, but I will tell you, like, it's just a good feeling when you've got, like... I'll tell y'all, I didn't paint anything recently, but I fixed the door to our bathroom. Uh, the hinges had, like, literally sort of pulled themselves out of the wall. Uh, we hang towels on on the back of the door on a little rack. Probably not a be the best idea, but I got some, some liquid nails and some it, enormous screws and uh, put that thing back up and... It just feels nice to, like, do something that you know you sort of got this thing set. So, Dahlia, I get it. I think it's 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 not, like, exciting, but it is cool. 
There we go. Plague Deity says, yo, someone popped this train. Let's get two songs tonight. Um, and I will tell you all, regarding, regarding the hype trains, I'm not doing any side karaoke tonight, because frankly, we're already a little behind. Uh, but I'm banking them. I hope you all know that, because we've already got two and a half from uh, last week. So, uh, hey, if y'all if y'all get on top of that, we could have quite the side karaoke afternoon, uh, afternoon and evening. So, y'all, let me know. Messica says, "Tough one, probably my toes." Excellent. I'm gonna I'm going to assume you mean your toenails. Otherwise, well, maybe you're doing some sort of goofy art project. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Okay, I think we've got we've got our our painting responses, and with that, it's probably time to begin, isn't it? Dolly says. Otherwise, maybe it was my little centaur miniature I painted for my Magic the Gathering D and D campaign. Oh, that was fantastic. That's fantastic. Uh, were you doing? Let's see, a centaur. So I guess maybe Theros, but it's not quite. It's not quite a satyr where I can say like, oh, definitely this, but. Yeah, were we in Theros? Is that, are we, am I in the right territory there? Y'all can hear. Ooh, boy. Y'all can hear. I got a little bit of mumble mouth going. All right. Let's do this. Gonna get my air conditioning off. We've got our review in the bag. And actually, I need to take a quick moment because last week it was very sad. Uh, Mama Cass came home and uh, didn't come in here even though she wanted to because she thought I was doing like some more specific recording. Uh, so I'm just going to let her know I'm doing... Uh, re-stream, but it's fine if you come in to hang out. There we go. All right. Now that that's managed, y'all. Oh, Ravnica. Ravnica's even better. Ravnica, like, Ravnica's frankly part of the reason why I designed parts of Recetus the way that I did. It's because I really enjoyed parts of it, but it was so isolated. It was so, like... Uh, it, it seemed like it sort of lacked context, um, and so I, I freaking love Ravnica and the lore around it. I thought it, it is, can I confidently say this? Yes, it is, I think, the most exciting bit of the crossover from Magic the Gathering lore into tabletop RPG lore. I adore it. I just wanted, like, I, I wanted something to, to set it against, and so that's why I made a, a, a giant city and surrounded it with Frontier. So, there we go. Y'all, I hope you enjoy the beginning of book three. Percy Jackson and the Olympians, book three, The Titan's Curse. Chapter one, my rescue operation goes very wrong. The Friday before winter break, my mom packed me an overnight bag and a few deadly weapons and took me to a new boarding school. We picked up my friends Annabeth and Talia on the way. It was an eight-hour drive from New York to Bar Harbor, Maine. Sleet and snow pounded the highway. Annabeth, Talia, and I hadn't seen each other in months. But between the blizzard and the thought of what we were about to do, we were too nervous to talk much. Except for my mom. She talks more when she's nervous. By the time we finally got to Westover Hall, it was getting dark, and she told Annabeth and Talia every embarrassing baby story there was to tell about me. Talia wiped the fog off the car window and peered outside. Oh yeah, this will be fun. 
Westover Hall looked like an evil knight's castle. It was all black stone, with towers and slit windows and a big set of wooden double doors. It stood on a snowy cliff overlooking this big frosty forest on one side and the grey churning ocean on the other. Are you... are you sure you don't want me to wait? My mother asked. Uh, no, thanks, Mom, I said. I don't know how long it's going to take. We'll be okay. But how are you going to get back? I'm worried, Percy. I hoped I wasn't blushing. It was bad enough I had to depend on my mom to drive me to my battles. It's okay, Mrs. Jackson. It's okay, Miss Jackson. Annabeth smiled reassuringly. Her blonde hair was tucked into a ski cap, and her gray eyes were the same color as the ocean. We'll keep him out of trouble. My mom seemed to relax a little. She thinks Annabeth is the most level-headed demigod ever to hit 8th grade. She's sure Annabeth often keeps me from getting killed. She's right, but doesn't mean I have to like it. All right, dears, my mom said. You got everything you need? Yes, Miss Jackson, Talia said. Thanks for the ride. Extra sweaters? You have my cell phone number? Mom. Yeah, ambrosia and nectar, Percy, and a golden drachma in case you need to contact the camp. Mom, seriously. We'll be fine. Oh, come on, guys. She looked a little hurt, and I was sorry about that, but I was ready to be out of that car. If my mom told one more story about how cute I looked in the bathtub when I was three years old, I was going to burrow into the snow and freeze myself to death. Annabeth and Talia followed me outside. The wind blew straight through my coat like ice daggers. Once my mother's car was out of sight, Talia said, Your mum is so cool, Percy. Yeah, she's pretty okay, I admitted. What about you? You ever get in touch with your mum? As soon as I said it, I wished I hadn't. Talia was great at giving evil looks, what with the punk clothes she always wears, the ripped-up army jacket, black leather pants, and chain jewelry the black eyeliner, and those intense blue eyes. But the look she gave me now was a perfect evil ten. If that was any of your business, Percy, we'd better get inside, Annabeth interrupted. Grover will be waiting. Talia looked at the castle and shivered. You're right. wonder what we found here that made him send out a distress call. I stared up at the dark towers of Westover Hall. Nothing good, I guessed. Memnite, how's it going? Good to see you. I see Kerfos, and I saw Plague Deity popped in with another, uh, uh, let's see, gift sub so thank you very much and uh stationary fork thanks for the prime subscription i appreciate y'all good to see you in and memnite you're actually not that late we are just now getting started um we're doing some we're doing some reruns here just because we had some missing episodes from when i was on vacation um but uh this rerun is the first six chapters of percy jackson and the olympians book three the titan's curse hi carefos i actually have to check something really quickly Okay, there we go. Ba, 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 da, da, ba, da, ba, ba. Okay. 
the oak doors groaned open, and the three of us stepped into the entry hall in a swirl of snow. All I could say was, Whoa. The place was huge. The walls were lined with battle flags and weapon displays, antique rifles, battle axes, and a bunch of other stuff. I mean, I knew Westover was a military school and all, but the decorations seemed like overkill. Literally. My hand went to my pocket, where I kept my lethal ballpoint pen, riptide. I could already sense something was wrong in this place, something dangerous. Talia was rubbing her silver bracelet, her favorite magical item. I knew we were thinking the same thing. A fight was coming. Annabeth started to say, I wonder where... The doors slammed shut behind us. Okay, I mumbled. I guess uh, we're going to stay a while. I could hear music echoing from the other end of the hall. It sounded like dance music. We stashed our overnight bags behind a pillar and started down the hall. We hadn't gone very far when I heard footsteps on the stone floor and a man and woman marched out of the shadows to intercept us. <laughs> Memnite, thank you very much. Uh, that looks like... Uh... <laughs> Hype train is a go. I mean, it looks like we just hit what top of level five immediately so i will oh plague deity yo <laughs> plague deity decided oh memnite's here this will show him <laughs> memnite you thought you were gonna walk into a pretty easy one didn't you but no no indeed <laughs> you goofballs this is a review stream how am i supposed to keep up with this Oh boy, Plague Deity, that's huge. I think that's the largest single shot uh, uh, bits donation I've ever had. But uh, yeah, it looks like you got... <laughs> oh, you definitely have it, Memnite. Yeah, you you have... A, I mean, Memnite holds the all-time highest, and then I think uh, uh, Plague Deity just... <laughs> just just uh, went ahead and... Dropped a big one. Just to, just to say, look, all right, nobody's getting getting through this one easy. Nobody's the king of this here Wild West Tavern, like we like to say. Um, and uh, Dolly says, if we hit 300% of level 5, we got an extra song besides the one that we got from hitting 200%. Because you had half of one from last week. Yes, indeed. If y'all hit 300%, I'm with it. Let's do it. 300%, and I will, I will count that other 100% from last week as well. So... Hey, you got two and a half minutes, if that's something y'all want, because I believe at that point we're going to be up to, what, four? Four side karaoke? Oh, baby! <laughs> Where are my notes at? Down here at the bottom. Uh, and Memnite, not to be outdone, Memnite has brought it up to 250, 250%. I mean, it's close, gang. If y'all, I mean, if y'all get, what? <sighs> and Dolly with the gift sub, that's 267 just need a third of 100%. What? That was the weirdest possible way I could have said that. If you keep going every every 200% of this thing, I will <laughs> I will continue to give out. So, let's see at 500%, I think you would hit your next one. I'll do it in 100% increments. No, I mean at that point I'm going to be singing a billion songs. You know, what? I will. I will though. I'll sing a billion songs. <laughs> Sandra, thank you very much for the bits. Memnite, 
Thank you a ton. Memnite with a thousand and uh, let's see, and some gift subs and Dahlia with gift subs. Oh boy. <laughs> I thought it was, okay, when I was gonna start doing these things, I really genuinely thought I was gonna be like, I'll stream to five or six people, the people who might've missed this and didn't mind like jumping in super late. So it was, it'll just be fine, it'll be fine. And then we'll, we'll just, you know, don't worry about it. Uh, it'll be quiet. Um, I'll miss everybody until we get back in and start actually like reading long term again. But, well, <laughs> y'all said, no, these are, we're gonna <laughs> we're going we're going real hyphy on this one. We're getting hype for this. So y'all, uh, I mean, Plague Deity. I I don't want to just say thank you once to Plague Deity because, like I said, that is the the highest uh, single donation. And absolutely, I mean, four forty seven. Y'all have. 45 seconds left if you want to boost that up to uh to 500 then that'll turn it into another song on the list so i mean let's see because memnite dropped in another 5,000. i'm pretty sure y'all have already cleared my <laughs> my my all-time hype train record uh like i mean and i mean for like a single night ever okay <laughs> and then dahlia <laughs> you mugs what's wrong with you people Ugh. I'm going to be singing a lot of songs, so I'm going to have to, like, I'm going to have to keep some careful notes here. Okay, so you you got a third song, and then you got a fourth song, and now a fifth song as of uh, your your preposterous donation. Okay, so two, three, four, and five. <sighs> Good grief. And for whatever reason, it, it tells me it's going to give me the Hype Train level three emote. I don't know why that is, but y'all, y'all... <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> Ridiculous. Absolutely preposterous. Okay. I, d I definitely wanted to give some, like, solid attention to that because, hey, I'm not going to lie to you all. I've talked about this on Patreon before. Patreon and y'all being supportive here, this does stuff that other types of support can't do in the same way. And so I appreciate that a ton. You're the reason why I'm able to say, like, hmm, it's going to cost me money to host all of these episodes as podcasts. Yeah, I'll do it, because y'all folks have been incredibly generous, so thank you a ton. I'm gonna have to figure out a way to <laughs> quiet down that audio over on my end, because I think for the next 45 minutes, it's going to be telling me about all of the gift subs that just went out. So y'all, thank you a ton. Dahlia with a ton of bits, uh, Memnite doing battle, uh, and then, uh, I mean, just the <laughs> plague deity coming in, indeed as a bit of a deity, uh, just saying, the god's blessing is upon you. <laughs> And I don't know who Sidecar Sam Army is, but welcome to Scooter Patrol. It's good to have you here. Welcome to the punks. I'll be honest, Scooter Patrol was something from, like, back in the day. It was kind of an inside joke um, a long time ago. But I feel like we've kind of adopted punks a little bit closer to home. You know what I mean? The punk ruffians. So, I, I don't know. I feel like, should we make the transition to punk ruffians? Scooter Patrol, I mean, it's funny. But, I don't know. It, it just feels like... It just feels like it's more us, the punk ruffians. <laughs> Rose says, I love you all. I lost my job this week and I've been feeling terrible, but I plan to keep uh, Patreon extras aren't a go for it now. Y'all are stupendous. Absolutely. And Rose, like, take a break from Patreon. That is quite all right. I don't want anyone to, like, stretch themselves too thin, especially right now when I'm having to take care of other stuff and I can't be posting, like, the Patreon special stuff. Um, so, like, don't... Don't goof on yourself for my sake here, Rose. Like, you absolutely should do you. Um, that is that is 
much more important to me. And that's not like a, a goof here or a, just me trying to be uh, benevolent. Like, you must, <laughs> you must take care of yourself, okay? Do me that favor. I want to see. I want to see either. I want to see two things from you. One of one of two things, Orly Rose. Either I want that. I want you to suspend or cancel that Patreon subscription, or I want to hear news about a, a new gig that you've got. I'm I'm not actually going to hold you to that, but uh, no, I I, I want to make sure you're taking care of yourself here. Sidecar stories will still be here because we got a lot of supportive people. That's you know part of the reason why this works out so well is because it doesn't all rest on your shoulders. And I wish you a very good luck. Absolutely. Dolly says, we'll have to wait for an hour or more for the hype train to reset, but we'll definitely do another one. It's reset! <laughs> All right, y'all have decided to be maniacs tonight. All right. Let's, let's continue with the reading, I guess. <laughs> y'all are ridiculous. Okay, so they've just entered this... This big castle, and they got weapons all <laughs> over the place, and there's music coming from uh, coming <laughs> coming from elsewhere in the castle. Okay, gotta recenter myself. God, y'all are ridiculous. Those are some enormous numbers. <laughs> the oak doors groaned open, and the three of us stepped into the entry hall in a swirl of snow. All I could say was. Whoa. The place was huge. The walls were lined with battle flags and weapon displays, antique rifles, battle axes, and a bunch of other stuff. I mean, I knew Westover was a military school and all, but the decorations seemed like overkill. Literally. My hand went to my pocket, where I kept my lethal ballpoint pen, Riptide. I could already sense something was wrong about this place. Something dangerous. Talia was rubbing her silver bracelet, her favorite magical item. I knew we were thinking the same thing. A fight was coming. Annabeth started to say, I wonder where... The doors slammed shut behind us. Okay, I mumbled. I guess we'll stay a while. I could hear music echoing from the other end of the hall. It sounded like dance music. We stashed our overnight bags behind a pillar and started down the hall. We hadn't gone very far when I heard footsteps on the stone floor and a man and woman marched out of the shadows to intercept us. They both had short gray hair and black military-style uniforms with red trim. The woman had a wispy mustache and the guy was clean-shaven, which seemed kind of backwards to me. They both walked stiffly, like they had broomsticks taped their spines. Well, the woman demanded, what are you doing here? Um, I realized I hadn't planned for this. I'd been so focused on getting to Grover and finding out what was wrong, I hadn't considered someone might question three kids sneaking into a school at night. We hadn't talked at all in the car about how we would get inside. I said, uh, ma'am, we're just... <laughs> The man snapped, which made me jump. Visitors are not allowed to dance. You shall be ejected. He had an accent. French, maybe? He pronounced his J's like Jacques. He was tall with a hawkish face. His nostrils flared when he spoke, which made it really hard not to stare up his nose, and his eyes were two different colors. One brown, one blue. Like an alley cat. 
I figured he was about to toss us into the snow, but then Talia stepped forward and did something very weird. She snapped her fingers. The sound was sharp and loud. Maybe it was just my imagination, but I felt a gust of wind ripple out from her hand across the room. It washed over all of us, making the banners rustle on the walls. Oh, but we're not visitors, sir, Talia said. We go to school here, you, you remember? I'm Talia. This is Annabeth, Percy. We're in the eighth grade. The male teacher narrowed his two-colored eyes. I didn't know what Talia was thinking. Now he'd probably get punished for lying and thrown into the snow, but the man seemed to be hesitating. He looked at his colleague. Mrs. Gottschalk, do you know these students? Despite the danger we were in, I had to bite my tongue to keep from laughing. A teacher named Gottschalk? He had to be kidding. The woman blinked, like someone had just woken her up from a trance. I... Yes, I believe that I do, sir. She frowned at us. Annabeth? Talia? Percy? What are you doing away from the gymnasium? Before we could answer, I heard more footsteps, and Grover ran up, breathless. You made it. You... Uh... He stopped short when he saw the teachers. Oh, uh, Mrs. Gottstruck, uh, Dr. Thorne, I... Uh, um... What is it, Mr. Underwood? Said the man. His tone made it clear he detested Grover. How do you mean they made it? These students live here. Grover swallowed. Um, yes, sir, um, of course, Dr. Thorne. I, I just meant I'm so glad that they made the punch for the dance. The punch is great and they made it. Dr. Thorne glared at us. I decided one of his eyes had to be fake. The brown one... The blue one? He looked like he wanted to pitch us off the castle's highest tower, but then Mrs. Gottschalk said dreamily, Yes, the punch is excellent. Now run along, all of you. You're not to leave the gymnasium again. We didn't wait to be told twice. We left with a lot of, Yes, ma'am. And, Thank you, sir. And a couple of salutes, just because it seemed like the right thing to do. Grover hustled us down the hall in the direction of the music. I could feel the teacher's eyes on my back, but I walked closely to Talia and asked in a low voice, How did you do that finger snap thing? Oh, you mean the mist? Hasn't Carbon told you how to do that yet? An uncomfortable lump formed in my throat. Chiron was our head trainer at camp, but he'd never shown me anything like that. Why had he shown Talia and not me? Grover hurried us to a door that had Jim written on the glass. G-Y-M. Even with my dyslexia, I could read that much. Oh, that was close, Grover said. Thank God that you got here. Annabeth and Talia both hugged Grover. I gave him a big high five. It was good to see him after so many months. He'd gotten a little taller and had sprouted a few more whiskers, but otherwise he looked like he always did when he passed for human. A red cap on his curly brown hair to hide his goat horns, baggy jeans and sneakers with fake feet to hide his furry legs and hooves. He was wearing a black t-shirt that took me a few seconds to read. It said, Westover Hall, Grunt. I wasn't sure whether that was like Grover's 
rank or something, or maybe it was just a school motto. So, what's the emergency? I asked. Grover took a deep breath. <sighs> I, I found two. Two half-bloods? Talia asked, amazed. Here? Grover nodded. Finding one half-blood was rare enough. This year, Karen had put satyrs on emergency overtime and sent them all over the country, scouring schools from fourth grade through high school for possible recruits. These were desperate times. We were losing campers. We needed all the new fighters we could find. The problem was, there just weren't that many demigods out there. A brother and sister, he said. They're ten and twelve. I, I, I don't know their parentage, but they're strong. We're running out of time, though. I need help. Monsters? One. Grover looked nervous. He suspects. I don't think he's positive yet, but this is the last day of the term. I'm sure he won't let them leave campus without finding out. It may be our last chance. Every time I try to get close to them, he's always there blocking me. I don't know what to do. Grover looked at Talia desperately. I tried not to feel upset by that. It used to be Grover looked at me for the answers, but Talia had seniority. Not just because her dad was Zeus, Talia had more experience than any of us fending off monsters in the real world. Right, she said. These half-bloods at the dance. Grover nodded. Then let's dance, Talia said. Who's a monster? Oh, Grover said, looking around nervously. You just met him, the vice-principal, Dr. Thorne. Weird thing about military schools, the kids go absolutely nuts when there's a special event and they get to be out of uniform. I guess it's because everything's so strict the rest of the time, they feel like they've got to overcompensate or something. There were red and black balloons all over the gym floor, and guys were kicking them into each other's faces, trying to strangle each other with crepe paper streamers taped to the walls. Girls moved around in football huddles, the way they always do, wearing lots of makeup and spaghetti strap tops and brightly colored pants and shoes that looked like torture devices. Every once in a while, they'd surround some poor guy like a pack of piranhas, shrieking and giggling, and when they finally moved on, the guy would have ribbons in his hair and a bunch of lipstick graffiti all over his face. Some of the older guys looked more like me. Uncomfortable, hanging out at the edges of the gym and trying to hide. Like any minute, they might have to fight for their lives. Of course, in my case, it was true. There they are, Grover nodded toward a couple of younger kids arguing in the bleachers. Bianca and... Nico D'Angelo. The girl wore a floppy green cap, like she was trying to hide her face. The boy was obviously her little brother. They both had dark, silky hair and olive skin, and they used their hands a lot when they talked. The boy was shuffling some kind of trading cards. His sister seemed to be scolding him about something. They kept looking around like she sensed something was wrong. Annabeth said, Do they... I mean, have you told them? Grover shook his head. You know how it is. 
that could put them in more danger. Once they realize who they are, that scent becomes stronger. He looked at me and I nodded. I never really understood what half-bloods smell like to monsters and satyrs, but I knew that your scent could get you killed. And the more powerful a demigod you became, the more you smelled like a monster's lunch. So let's grab him and get him out of here, I said. I started forward, but Talia put her hand on my shoulder. The vice principal, Dr. Thorne, had slipped out of a doorway near the bleachers and was standing near the D'Angelo siblings. He nodded coldly in our direction. His blue eye seemed to glow. Judging from his expression, I guessed Thorne hadn't been fooled by Talia's trick with the mist after all. He suspected who we were. He was just waiting to see why we were here. Don't look at the kids, Talia ordered. We have to wait for a chance to get them. We need to pretend that we're not interested in them. Throw him off the scent. How? We are three powerful half-bloods. Our presence should confuse him. Mingle, act natural. Do some dancing, but keep an eye on those kids. Dancing? Annabeth asked. Talia nodded. She cocked her ear to the music and made a face. Ah, who chose Jesse McCartney? Grover looked hurt. I did. Oh my god, Grover! That's so lame, can you play like Green Day or something? Green... who? Never mind. Let's dance. But I, I can't dance. You can if I'm leading, Talia said. Come on, go boy. Grover yelped as Talia grabbed his hand and led him to the dance floor. Annabeth smiled. What? I asked. Nothing. It's just cool to have Talia back. Annabeth had grown taller than me since last summer, which I found kind of disturbing. She used to wear no jewelry except for her camp half-blood bead necklace, but now she wore little silver earrings shaped like owls, the symbol of her mother, Athena. She pulled off her ski cap and her long blonde hair tumbled down her shoulders. It made her look older for some reason. So, I tried to think of something to say. Act natural, Talia had told us. When you're a half-blood on a dangerous mission, what the heck is natural? Uh, design any good buildings lately? Talia's eyes lit up, the way that they always did when she talked about architecture. Oh my gods, Percy, I'm at a new school, I get to take 3D design as an elective, and there's this cool computer program. She went on to explain how she designed this huge monument she wanted to build at Ground Zero in Manhattan. She talked about structural supports and facades and stuff, and I tried to listen. I knew she wanted to be a super architect when she grew up. She loves math and historical buildings and all that, but I hardly understood a word she was saying. The truth was, I was kind of disappointed to hear that she liked her new school so much. It was the first time she'd gone to school in New York. I've been hoping to see her more often. It was a boarding school in Brooklyn, and she and Talia were both attending, close enough to Camp Half-Blood that Chiron said... Close enough to Camp Half-Blood that Chiron could help if they got into any trouble. Because it was an all-girls school and I was going to MS-54 in Manhattan, I hardly ever saw them. Uh, yeah. Cool, I said. 
So you're staying there for the rest of the year, huh? Her face got dark. Well, maybe if I don't... I... Talia called to us. She was slow dancing with Grover, who was tripping all over himself, kicking Talia in the shins and looking like he wanted to die. At least his feet were fake. Unlike me, he had an excuse for being clumsy. Dance, you guys, Talia ordered. You look stupid just standing there. I looked nervously at Annabeth, then at the groups of girls who were roaming the gym. Well, Annabeth said. Uh, who should I ask? She punched me in the gut. Me, seaweed brain. Oh, oh, right. So, we went to the dance floor. And I looked over to see how Talia and Grover were doing things. I put one hand on Annabeth's hip and she clasped her other hand. And she clasped my other hand like she was about to judo throw me. I'm not gonna bite, she told me. Honestly, Percy, don't you guys have dances at your school? I didn't answer. The truth was, we did. But I'd never, like, actually danced at one. I was usually one of the guys playing basketball over in the corner. We shuffled around for a few minutes. I tried to concentrate on little things like the crepe paper streamers and the punch bowl. Anything but the fact that Annabeth was a foot taller than me, and my hands were sweaty and probably gross, and I kept stepping on her toes. What were you saying earlier? I asked. You having trouble at school or something? She pursed her lips. It's not that. It's my dad. Uh oh. I knew Annabeth had a rocky relationship with her father. I thought it was getting better between you two. Is. Is it your stepmom again? Annabeth sighed. He decided to move. Just when I was getting settled in New York, he took this stupid job researching for a World War I book in San Francisco. She said this the same way she might say Fields of Punishment or Hades' Gym Shorts. So he wants you to move out there with him? I asked. To the other side of the country, she said miserably. And Half-Bloods can't live in San Francisco. He should know that. What? Why not? Annabeth rolled her eyes. Maybe she thought I was kidding. You know, it's right there. Oh, I said. I had no idea what she was talking about, but I didn't want to sound stupid. So, you'll go back to living at the camp, or what? It's more serious than that, Percy. I... I should probably tell you something. Suddenly she froze. They're gone. What? I followed her gaze. The bleachers. The two half-blood kids, Bianca and Nico, were no longer there. The door next to the bleachers was wide open. Dr. Thorne was nowhere in sight. We have to get Talia and Grover. Annabeth looked around frantically. Where'd they dance off to? Come on. She ran through the crowd. I was about to follow when a mob of girls got in the way. I maneuvered around them to avoid getting the ribbon and lipstick treatment, and by the time I was free, Annabeth had disappeared. I turned a full circle, looking for her or Talia, Grover. Instead, I saw something that chilled my blood. About 50 feet away, lying on the gym floor, 
was a floppy green cap just like the one Bianca D'Angelo had been wearing. Near it were a few scattered trading cards. Then I caught a glimpse of Dr. Thorne. He was hurrying out a door at the opposite end of the gym, steering the D'Angelo kids by the scruffs of their necks like kittens. I still couldn't see Annabeth, but I knew she'd be heading the other way, looking for Talia and Grover. I almost ran after her. Then I thought, wait. I remembered what Talia had said to me in the entry hall, looking at me all puzzled when I asked about the finger snap trick. Hasn't Chiron shown you how to do that yet? I thought about the way Chiron I thought about the way Grover had turned to her, expecting her to save the day. Not that I resented Talia, she was cool. It wasn't her fault her dad was Zeus and she got all the attention. Still, I didn't need to run after her to solve every problem. Besides, there wasn't time. The D'Angelos were in danger. They might be long gone by the time I found my friends. I knew monsters. I could handle myself. I took Riptide out of my pocket and ran after Dr. Thorne. The door led into a dark hallway. I heard sounds of scuffling up ahead, then a painful grunt. I uncapped Riptide. The pen grew in my hands till I held a bronze Greek sword about three feet long with a bound leather grip. The blade glowed faintly, casting a golden light on the rows of lockers. I jogged down the corridor, but when I got to the other end, no one was there. I opened a door and found myself back in the main entry hall. I was completely turned around. I didn't see Dr. Thorne anywhere, but there on the opposite side of the room were the D'Angelo kids. They stood frozen in horror, staring right at me. I advanced slowly, lowering the tip of my sword. It's okay. I'm not here to hurt you. They didn't answer. Their eyes were full of fear. What was wrong with them? Where was Dr. Thorne? Maybe he'd sensed the presence of Riptide and retreated? Monsters hated celestial bronze weapons. My name is Percy, I said, trying to keep my voice level. I'm going to take you out of here get you somewhere safe. Bianca's eyes widened, her fists clenched. Only too late did I realize what her look meant. She wasn't afraid of me, she was trying to warn me. I turned around and something went... <laughs> Pain exploded in my shoulder. A force like a huge hand yanked me backward and slammed me to the wall. I slashed with my sword, but there was nothing to hit. A cold laugh echoed through the hall. Yes, Pelsius Jackson, Dr. Thorne said. His accent mangled the J in my last name. I know who you are. I tried to free my shoulder. My coat and shirt were pinned to the wall by some kind of spike. A black dagger-like projectile about three feet long. It had grazed my skin on my shoulder as it passed through my clothes and the cut burned. I'd felt something like this before. Poison. I tried to force myself to concentrate. I would not pass out. A dark silhouette now moved toward us. Dr. Thorne stepped into the dim light. He still looked human, but his face was ghoulish. He had perfect white 
teeth, and his brown-slash-blue eyes reflected in the light of my sword. Thank you for coming out of the gym, he said. I hate middle school dances. I tried to swing my sword again, but he was just out of reach. A second projectile shot from somewhere behind Dr. Thorne. He didn't appear to move. It was as if someone invisible were standing behind him, throwing knives. Next to me, Bianca yelped. The second thorn impaled itself in the stone wall half an inch from her face. All three of you will come with me, Dr. Thorne said. Quietly. Obediently. We make a single noise. If you call out for help or try to fight, I will show you just how accurately I can throw. And there we have it, folks. The end of chapter one. What y'all thinking? What do you think? How's it treating you so far? Gotta get this air conditioning on, because it's hot as all get out. There we go. All right, now, folks, what do you think? We have launched in once again, and frankly, I think we had some pretty good discussion about this when we initially read these chapters, but now we're gonna have to have a bit of a new discussion. Uh, it's gonna be shorter, so I'm just gonna ask a quick chatterbreak question, and then I'll do a quick review, and then we're gonna launch into our next chapter. All right, so here's what I want y'all to be tracking, right? We've got our, uh, and this will go under the category, the, the sort of heading of uh, protagonist, I think, would be the best spot for this. Let's talk about protagonist. Uh, but first, Sander says, I'll be leaving. I want to be awake in some hours. Fantastic uh, to have you here. Thank you very much, Sander. It was great to have you. Thank you very much for the bits. Uh, I saw you in there, and I appreciate you. Uh, and I also saw you over in Discord. Sorry about... <laughs> Sander was running some tests on a new bot feature because Sander is the bot wizard, um, and being the bot wizard had done some like special work to make a, a new function for the bot to handle. And I saw it, and I thought somebody was because I, I knew you had a, a an alt account over in Discord, Sander, but I also knew it was already in the Discord. So when I saw that it had joined the Discord, I was like, hmm, who's this now? Who's this trying to troll us with the name admin? And then I realized like, oh, <laughs> uh, it's Sander, but. Unfortunately, I didn't realize that until I had gone ahead and uh, <laughs> changed the name to try and <laughs> troll back a little bit because I thought we were being trolled. But no, it was just the bot wizard. That's the thing, yo, folks. Uh, wizards work in mysterious ways. Sander, thank you very much for being here, and I hope whatever you got going on tomorrow, I hope it goes excellently. All right, chatter break question. We're talking uh, protagonist right now, right? We're talking about Percy Jackson, the character. And what I want to talk about with Percy Jackson right now is this dynamic that he's got with Talia at the moment. We don't get a lot of background. We don't get a lot of like, and between, you know, since, since Talia came out of the tree, here's what she's been up to. And here's what, you know, Percy and the gang have been up to. We don't get much of that at all. We just get this one little moment. Suddenly, you know, we ended last book and she's just popped out of the tree and now we're already like on a mission with them. We don't get to see how they've operated, how they've gotten to know one another, whether or not they've really gotten to know one another much at all. But here's what we do know. Near the top of this chapter, Grover wonders what to do next and he looks to somebody who can kind of be an authority on this. And he looks to Talia. Now, in the past two books worth, 
Gover kind of tended to look toward Percy for things like this, and now... Now it's sort of the... <laughs> Rose says, is the bot's function what innocent word can we mute Rose for today? No, it's not. But yeah, to uh, Rose keeps getting got for the weirdest words, like the word put, P-U-T. Um, and then, like, I think heck might have gotten you before, but yeah, there were... <laughs> <laughs> Talius, uh, uh, Orly Rose has like a weird knack for finding precisely which words um, the the auto mod on Twitch is going to be really picky about. It's funny. Anyway, so we're just now seeing this this uh, relationship starting to develop, kind of the quality of the relationship between these two characters, and this comes up more in writing circles than it does in literary like analysis circles more of a constructive rather than destructive type of group but um the i've, I've heard it said that when you're writing you should think about don't, don't think so much about the character nearly as much about the relationships because character especially you know when you're writing for tv stuff that's very visual um and you don't spend a lot of time doing like internal monologue stuff when you're dealing with that, the relationships between people are what you see, and those kind of help to inform that. So I've heard it said you should spend much more time thinking about the relationships between characters than you should about, like, the individual characters themselves. And so for our chatter break bit, I definitely want y'all to be tracking this dynamic between Percy and Talia. Because Percy has sort of felt like a leader for a while, and now it's sort of like a demotion, essentially. It's, it's like... It's like he's sort of been, like, knocked down a peg and there's a new leader up in the mix. And it's not that Talia's underqualified. It's not that she's bad at this. As a matter of fact, she's notably good at it. She's very experienced. But for Percy, he's kind of gone from this person who was the leader and at the very least felt like he had some, some experience and some, uh, some, maybe some talent in this regard. And now he's just another one of the gang, just another team member. So keep an eye on that. How does it affect the decisions that Percy Jackson makes? Dahlia says, I definitely sense that. It seems like they're dealing with interpersonal dynamic shifts in the Percy Jackson core group. Indeed. Yeah, and I, I, would, I would also be curious. You know, that's kind of the big main question. But then, you know, keep an eye on how some of the other dynamics change as well. Because of the way that this relationship is working between Percy and Talia, think about the ways also that that will sort of like reverberate out into other relationships. How are, as Dahlia mentions, the feelings of inadequacy and how, how Percy deals with those, how are those going to change his relationship with Grover or with Annabeth? You know, is he going to snap at Grover or something and say like, hey, look, I'm, I'm still good at this. I didn't get worse at this just because Talia showed up. Like, you can ask me about this stuff too. Is he going to snap? Is he going to make bad decisions? Like, maybe running off alone? Kerfo says, as I missed the beginning of this book, I felt like I was missing a lot on Talia. But I think it isn't really there. And I think you're absolutely correct, Kerfos. We do not have a lot of information about Talia. Like, it seemed almost... I, I, I really was genuinely concerned I'd gotten a, a, a bad copy or something, and there were chapters missing. I, I thought that there were chapters missing, but I don't think it's the case. I thought there were chapters missing, but it does not appear so. We just launch right into it with Talia. Just right to the first mission. So, um, I want you all to be keeping an eye on that. How those, how those relationships change now with this new person involved. Keep that in mind. 
And with that, a bit of review, super short. Uh, welcome to the top of book three in chapter one, Percy and Los Amigos, which now includes Talia. So Percy, Talia, Annabeth, Grover. Um, Percy, Talia, and Annabeth have been dropped off at this military school um, for, for kids. And it sounds like Grover's got a lead on two half-bloods that are here. They try to sort of infiltrate, but it looks like maybe they missed their chance because there's a monster here as well, masquerading as this Dr. Thorne individual. We don't know what his deal is, but we know he wants to find these half-blood kids. And then the kids disappear, Percy gets separated from the rest of the crew, and he tries to go off and rescue them alone. And that's when these spikes start flying out of the air as, as he and the D'Angelo twins are sort of alone at the end of this hallway. And that is where we're at, and that is where we'll start. And that is where I hope you all will enjoy the next part. Please. There we go. Please turn off. <laughs> that wasn't like, please enjoy. <laughs> and uh, what's the cooldown set for for hype trains? It's the least. I think that's one hour, Dahlia. It's, it's the lowest I can get it, but I believe it's one hour, if I remember correctly. Okay. Chapter 2. Chapter 2. The Vice Principal Gets a Missile Launcher I didn't know what kind of monster Dr. Thorne was, but he was fast. Maybe I could have defended myself if I could get my shield activated. Oops. Maybe I could defend myself if I could get my shield activated. All it would take was a touch of my wristwatch. But defending the D'Angelo kids was another matter. I needed help, and there was only one way I could think to get it. I closed my eyes. What are you doing, Jackson? hissed Dr. Thorne. Keep moving. I opened my eyes and kept shuffling forward. It's... it's my shoulder, I lied, trying to sound miserable, which wasn't hard. It burns. Ah, my poison causes pain. It will not kill you. Walk. Thorne herded us outside, and I tried to concentrate. I pictured Grover's face. I focused on my feelings of fear and danger. Last summer, Grover had created an empathy link between us. He'd sent me visions in my dreams to let me know when he was in trouble. As far as I knew, we were still linked, but I'd never tried to contact Grover before. I didn't know if it would work while Grover was still awake. Hey, Grover, I thought. Thorn is kidnapping us. He's got a poisonous... He's a poisonous spike-throwing maniac. Help! Thorn marched us into the woods. We took a snowy path, dimly lit by old-fashioned lamplights. My shoulder ached. The wind blowing through my ripped clothes was so cold I felt like a Percy-sickle. There is a clearing ahead, Thorn said. We will summon your ride. What ride? Bianca demanded. Where are you taking us? Silence, you insufferable girl! Don't talk to my sister that way, Nico said. His voice quivered, but I was impressed he had the guts to say anything at all. Dr. Thorne made a growling sound that definitely wasn't human. 
It made the hairs stand up on the back of my neck, but I was forced to keep a lookout and pretend I was being a good little captive. Meanwhile, I projected my thoughts like crazy. Anything to get Grover's attention. Grover! Apples! Tin cans! Get your furry goat behind out here and bring some heavily armed friends! Halt! Thorn said. The woods had opened up. We'd reached a cliff overlooking the sea. At least, I sensed the sea was down there, hundreds of feet below. I could hear the waves churning, and I could smell the cold, salty froth. But all I could see was mist and darkness. Dr. Thorne pushed us toward the edge. I stumbled, and Bianca caught me. Thanks, I murmured. What is he? She whispered. How do we fight him? I'm working on it. I'm scared, Nico mumbled. He was fiddling with something, a little metal toy soldier of some kind. Stop talking, Dr. Thorne said. Face me. We turned. Thorne's two-tone eyes glittered hungrily. He pulled something out from under his coat. At first I thought it was a... At first I thought it was a switchblade, but it was only a phone. He pressed the side button and said, The package. It is ready to deliver. There was a garbled reply, and then I realized Thorne was in walkie-talkie mode. This seemed way too modern and creepy. A monster using a mobile phone? I glanced behind me, wondering how far the drop was. <laughs> By all means, Percy. Son of Poseidon, jump. There is the sea. Save yourself. What did he call you? Bianca muttered. I'll explain later. You do have a plan, right? Grover, I thought desperately. Come get me. Oh, come to me. Maybe I could get both of the D'Angelos to jump with me into the ocean. If we survived the fall, I could use the water to protect us. I'd done things like that before. If, if my dad was in a good mood and listening, he might help. Maybe. I would kill you before you ever reached the water, Dr. Thorne said, as if reading my thoughts. You do not realize who I am, do you? A flicker of movement behind him, and another missile whizzed so close next to me it nicked my ear. Something had sprung up behind Dr. Thorne, like a catapult, but more flexible. Almost like a tail. Unfortunately, Thorne said, you are wanted alive, if possible. Otherwise you would already be dead. Who wants us? Bianca demanded, because if you think you'll get a ransom, you're wrong. We don't have any family. Nico and I, her voice broke a little, we've got no one but each other. Oh, Dr. Thorne said, do not worry, little brats. You will be meeting my employer soon enough. Then you will have a brand new family. Luke. I said, you work for Luke. Dr. Thorne's mouth twisted with distaste as I said the name of my old enemy, a former friend who'd tried to kill me several times. 
You have no idea what is happening, Perseus Jackson. I will let the general enlighten you. You're going to do him a great service tonight. He's looking forward to meeting you. The general? I asked. Then I realized I'd said it with a French accent. Then I realized I'd said it with a French accent. I mean, who, who's the general? Thorne looked toward the horizon. Uh, here we are. Your transportation. I turned and saw a light in the distance. A searchlight over the sea. Then I heard the chopping of helicopter blades growing louder and louder. Where are you taking us? Nico said. You should be honored, my boy. You will have the opportunity to join the great army. Just like that silly game that you play with the cards and the dolls. They're not dolls, they're figurines. You can take your great army and... Now, now, Dr. Thorne warned. You will change your mind about joining us, my boy. And if you do not, well, there are other uses for half-bloods. We have got many monstrous mouths to feed. The great stirring is underway. The great what? I asked. Anything to keep him talking while I figured out a plan. The stirring of monsters. Dr. Thorne smiled evilly. The worst of them, the most powerful, are now waking. Monsters that have not been seen in a thousand years. They will cause death and destruction like so which mortals have never known. And soon we shall have the most important monster of all. The one that shall bring the downfall of Olympus. Okay, Bianca whispered to me. He's completely nuts. We gotta jump off the cliff, I told her quietly. Into the sea. Oh, super idea. You're completely nuts, too. I never got the chance to argue with her, because just then an invisible force slammed into me. Looking back on it, Annabeth's move was brilliant. Wearing her cap of invisibility, she plowed into the D'Angelo's and me, knocking us to the ground. For a split second, Dr. Thorne was taken by surprise, so his first volley of missiles zipped harmlessly over our heads. This gave Talia and Grover a chance to advance from behind. Talia wielding her at Talia wielding her magic shield, Aegis. If you've never seen Talia run into battle, you have never been truly frightened. She uses a huge spear that expands from this collapsible mace canister she carries in her pocket, but that's not the scary part. Her shield is modeled after one her dad uses, also called Aegis, a gift from Athena. The shield has the head of a gorgon, Medusa, molded into the bronze, and even though it won't turn you to the stone, and even though it won't turn you to stone, it is so horrible most people will panic and run at the sight of it. Even Dr. Thorne winced and growled when he saw it. Talia moved in with her spear. For Zeus! I thought Dr. Thorne was a goner. Talia jabbed at his head, but he snarled and swatted the spear aside. His hand changed into an orange paw with enormous claws that sparked against Talia's shield as she slashed. If it hadn't been for Aegis, Talia would have been sliced like a loaf of bread. As it was, she managed to roll backward and land on her feet. The sound of the helicopter was getting louder behind me, but I didn't dare look. Dr. Thorne launched another volley of missiles at Talia, and this time I could see how he did it. He had a tail, 
a leathery, scorpion-like tail that bristled with spikes at the top. The missiles deflected off of Aegis, but the force of their impact knocked Talia down. Grover sprang forward. He put his reed pipes to his lips and began to play. A frantic jig that sounded something like pirates would dance to. Grass broke through the snow. Within seconds, thick rope strands, rope-thick weeds were wrapping around Dr. Thorne's legs, entangling him. Dr. Thorne roared and began to charge. He grew lart. Dr. Thorne roared and began to change. He grew larger until he was in his true form, his face still human, but his body that of a huge lion. His leathery, spiky tail whipped deadly thorns in all directions. A manticore, Dahlia said. Dahlia? Oh, <laughs> Dahlia, you're in there now. Excuse me? <laughs> it wasn't even close. Annabeth said, now visible. Her magical New York Yankees cap had come off when she'd plowed into us. Who are you people? Dahlia Oh my god, again! This is weird! I don't think I've ever done this before. I mean, I've gotten names wrong, but it's always names like in the thing. <laughs> oh, and for two different people, too. See, Bianca, like, at least it shares some letters, so that one makes a little bit more sense, but I, I got Annabeth in there before. I think it's just because, like, when I look over, you're the most, most recent person that's been chatting, so... Yikes. <laughs> Who are you people? Bianca D'Angelo demanded. And what is that? A manticore. Nico gasped. He's got three hundred... He's got three thousand attack power, plus five to saving throws. I didn't know what he was talking about, but I didn't have time to worry about it. The manticore clawed Grover's magic weeds to shreds and then turned toward us with a snarl. Get down! Annabeth pushed the D'Angelo's flat into the snow. At the last second, I remembered my own shield. I hit my wristwatch, the metal plating spiraling out into a thick bronze shield, and not a moment too soon. The thorns impacted against it with such force they dented the metal. The beautiful shield, a gift from my brother, was badly damaged. I wasn't sure it would even stop a second volley. I heard a thwack and a yelp, and Grover landed next to me with a thud. Yield, the monster roared. Never! Talia yelled from across the field. She charged the monster, and for a second I thought she would run him through. But then there was a thunderous noise and a blaze of light from behind us. The helicopter appeared out of the mist, hovering just beyond the cliffs. It was a sleek, black, military-style gunship, with attachments on the sides that looked like laser-guided rockets. The helicopter seemed to be manned by mortals, but what was it doing here? How could mortals be working with a monster? The searchlights blinded Talia, and the manticore swatted her away with its tail. Her shield flew into the snow, her spear in the other direction. No! I ran out to help her. I parried away a strike just before it would have hit her chest. I raised my shield over us, but I knew it wouldn't be enough. Dr. Thorne laughed. <laughs> Now, now you see how hopeless it is. Yield, little heroes. We were trapped between a monster and a fully armed helicopter. We had no choice. We had no chance. Then I heard a clear, piercing sound. The call of a hunting horn blowing in the woods. The manticore froze. 
For a moment, no one moved. It was only the swirl of snow and wind and the chopping of helicopter blades. No, Dr. Thorne said. It cannot be. His sentence was cut short when something shot past me like a streak of moonlight. A glowing silver arrow sprouted from Dr. Thorne's shoulder. He staggered backward, wailing in agony. Curse you! Thorne cried. He unleashed his spikes, dozens of them at once, into the woods where the arrow had come from. But just as fast, silvery arrows shot back in reply. It almost looked like the arrows had intercepted the thorns in midair and sliced them in two, but my eyes must have been playing tricks on me. No one, not even Apollo's kids at camp, could shoot with that much accuracy. A manticore pulled an arrow. The manticore pulled an arrow out of his shoulder with a howl of pain. His breathing was heavy. I tried to swipe at him with my sword, but he wasn't as injured as he looked. He dodged my attack and slammed his tail into my shield, knocking me aside. Then the archers came from the woods. They were girls, about a dozen of them. The youngest was maybe ten. The oldest, about fourteen, like me. They wore silvery ski parkas and jeans, and they were all armed with bows. They advanced from the manticore with determined expressions. The hunters, Annabeth cried. Next to me, Talia muttered, Oh, wonderful. I didn't have the chance to ask what she meant. One of the older archers stepped forward with her bow drawn. She was tall and graceful with coppery-colored skin. Unlike the other girls, she had a silver circlet braided into the top of her long, dark hair, so she looked like some kind of Persian princess. Permission to kill, my lady? I couldn't tell who she was talking to because she kept her eyes on the manticore. The monster wailed. This is not fair! Direct interference! It is against the ancient laws! Not so, another girl said. This one was a little younger than me, maybe twelve or thirteen. She had auburn hair gathered back into a ponytail and strange eyes, silvery yellow like the moon. Her face was so beautiful it made me catch my breath, but her expression was stern and dangerous. The hunting of all wild beasts is within my sphere, and you, foul creature are a wild beast. She looked at the older girl with the circlet. Zoe, permission granted. The manticore growled. If I cannot have these alive, I shall have them dead. He lunged at Talia and me, knowing we were weak and dazed. No, Annabeth yelled, and she charged the monster. Get back, half-blood. Oops. Not, that's not the one. Get back, half-blood. The girl with the circlet said, Get out of the line of fire. But Annabeth lip... <laughs> That's leaped and leapt. Sort of ends up in lipped. But Annabeth leapt into the monster's back and drove her knife into his mane. The manticore howled, turning in circles with his tail flailing as Annabeth hung on for dear life. Fire! Zoe ordered. No! I screamed, but the hunters let their arrows fly. The first caught the manticore in the neck. Another hit his chest. The manticore staggered backward, wailing. This is not the end, Huntress. You shall pay.
and before anyone could react, the monster, with Annabeth still on his back, leapt over the cliff and tumbled into the darkness. Annabeth! I yelled. I started to run after her, but our enemies weren't done with us. There was a snap, 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 snap from the helicopter, the sound of gunfire. Most of the hunters scattered as tiny holes appeared in the snow at their feet, but the girl with the auburn hair just looked up calmly at the helicopter. Mortals, she announced, are not allowed to witness my hunt. She thrust out her hand, and the helicopter exploded into dust. No, not dust. The black metal dissolved into a flock of birds, ravens which scattered into the night. The hunters advanced on us. The one called Zoe stopped short when she saw Talia. You, she said with distaste. Zoe Nightshade, Talia's voice trembled with anger. Perfect timing as usual. Zoe scanned the rest of us. Four half-bloods and a satyr, my lady. Yes, the younger girl said. Some of Chiron's campers, I see. Annabeth, I yelled. We gotta go. You, you have to let us save her. You have to let us save her. The auburn-haired girl turned toward me. I'm sorry, Percy Jackson, but your friend is beyond help. I tried to struggle to my feet, but a couple of the girls held me down. You're in no condition to be hurling yourself off of cliffs, the auburn-haired girl said. Let me go, I demanded. Who do you think you are? Zoe stepped forward as if to smack me. No, the other girl ordered. I sense no disrespect, Zoe. He is simply distraught. He does not understand. The young girl looked at me her eyes colder and brighter than the winter moon. I am Artemis, she said, goddess of the hunt. Okay, now maybe he did say Banana Beth a little bit. A little. A little banana bath never hurt anybody. Uh, Memnite says, is this book four? It is not. We are doing a quick reread uh, last week and this week, and then I'm going to take a vote on it for maybe next week as well, um, because as of the end of this week, we will have caught up with all of the missing chapters for things. Um, these were from vacation. Last week, we handled some that um, were just like lost way back in the day, like Harry Potter book five and stuff. So yes, this is the very beginning of book three, Memnite. Um, and uh, I have got the first bit of book five available over in Spotify right now uh, or wherever you find your podcasts. So you can look for Flying Sidecar wherever you get podcasts. Hopefully it's there. And if it's not, please let me know where you're getting your podcast so I can try to remedy that. Um, so uh, Memnite says, I haven't listened to book three. That's what I'm on. Excellent. Welcome to the very beginning of book three, Memnite. Um, and uh, if y'all are looking for like the interim location for some of these files, you can find the link over to a big old Google Drive where some folks have posted some very helpful files. Um, you can find those over in the Discord as well. Um, but for the time being, y'all, uh, just know that I'm working very hard on editing. I edited seven full streams, not chapters, streams. 
I edited seven full streams on Tuesday, and then let's see, yesterday, I didn't get quite as many done because every time I start a new book, it's like I have to organize a bunch of files and do a lot of downloading stuff. So uh, those are going to be showing up once again very soon. Um, and with that, I think I think this is probably going to be a two-break kind of night, folks. Uh, I think I'm going to leave you all with a chatterbreak question, and then I'm going to go take a break here. Then we're going to read two more chapters, then another break, and then two more. Something to let you all know, a couple of things. Because we're trying to cover so much ground tonight, we are not doing two things. We're not doing beans, and we're not doing sad karaoke. But I'm banking those. Those are going to be added on to future streams, okay? Because I'm definitely not going to just say, oh, they're not happening, because y'all have been crazy generous. Y'all have been telling people about the show, and I appreciate that a ton. So if you told somebody about the show on social media or brought them here, just know the beans will happen, just not yet. If you have been donating uh, and y'all have been helping to hit that hype train stuff, those are definitely going to become side karaoke songs, just not yet. Same thing. So, Hyper? Hyper says, hi, I've been busy for a while. I'm hoping to listen more. I was just wondering what Sam's reading and when. Uh, well, you can find the schedule over on Discord. Otherwise, I'm sure folks here will be very helpful to you. And if not, I'll cover it when I get back. But, y'all, I'm going to take a quick five-minute break. I will see you then. Adios, folks. Bye-bye. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I see y'all, you, you maniacs uh, have gone ahead and very nearly kicked off another hype train. I don't think it, I think this, like, this countdown here, as long as it doesn't actually start, I think uh, the hype train sort of is preserved and it'll pop up again next time somebody jumps in. But y'all... Y'all are nuts. <laughs> uh, Dolly says, did you enjoy your break? Yes, indeed, I did. It was, um, I gotta be honest, like, they feel shorter and shorter because I try to accomplish more during them than I did before. Uh, I want to say thank you very much, uh, Mem Knight. Thank you a ton. And then I believe, let's see, the most recent ones were Dahlia with the gift sub and then Kerfos. Kerfos. Kerfos is like a sort of new kid on the block here. Like, as far as, like, as far as the gunslinging goes, as far as the, the old bits gunslinging goes. So, thank you very much, Kerfos, and uh, Dahlia, of course, as always. Um, thank you, and uh, thank you for your, <laughs> thank you for all of your, your other efforts surrounding the channel, because Dahlia uh, was sort of my translator. I do not speak French. I can keep up with Spanish okay, but I don't speak French. Um, and so Dahlia was able to give me uh, some pronunciation guides um, for the, uh, for the Murder on the Orient Express, because y'all, that little Belgian man, goes ahead and speaks a plenty of Spanish. Spanish? I did the dumb thing. Plenty of French. Uh, it is, I mean, it makes sense. He's Belgian. But um, it's, uh, it's a lot of French. And it's a lot of French that I probably would not be able to fight my way through without some help. So, Dahlia, thank you a ton. I appreciate you. Appreciate it quite a bit. Just finished translating your upcoming chapters. Oh, fantastic. Okay, wunderbar. Um, I don't think there was... In my head, there wasn't quite as much, but I, I will admit to you, I just got the word count. I did not get a full, like, uh, I didn't do my full pre-prep for it. So, let me know. Hopefully not bad. Everybody, we're back. We were reading the beginning of Percy Jackson and the Olympians book three, The Titan's Curse. Uh, we don't know what that means yet. We have been talking a little bit about the relationships between some of these characters. And, I mean, at, at uh, 5.51, we're a little behind schedule. So, I think it's high time we jumped in and get reading. Let's go!
That's right, some short breaks this time. Going right into it. There we are. Welcome back, Gwendog. Uh, your timing is perfect. Let's talk a touch of review, and then we're going to go into chapter three. Um, the beginning of this book, Percy and uh, the gang, which includes Talia now as well, are here at this military school to rescue some half-bloods, but they get caught by specifically the two half-bloods, Bianca and Nico D'Angelo. And Percy, the three of them get caught by this Dr. Thorne, who turns out to be a manticore. Things are going real, real bad for them. Uh, Talia and Annabeth and Grover show up, but they're not able to sort of compete here against the Manticore and the mortal piloted helicopter that's, that's showing up now. It seems that they are wanted alive, otherwise this Manticore would kill them, but... Luckily, they seem to have someone strange on their side, because all of a sudden arrows start flying out of the woods, and we discover that it is the hunt. And not just any hunt, it is... The Huntresses, the Hunters of Artemis. So, the goddess Artemis has arrived. She looks like a 12 or 13 year old girl, uh, but she's here with a, a bunch of gals who are wielding bows and wielding them quite well. Kerfo says, Siegfried and Roy's tiger? What's Siegfried and Roy's tiger's name? Who's this? What do they got? I, let's see, maybe Huntress, I imagine, was the, the word I said that would be a tiger's name as well. Although I suppose Manticore could be a pretty cool tiger name. I'm not sure. Anyway. Y'all, I hope you're ready for it, because I certainly am. Let's read. Chapter 3. Bianca D'Angelo makes a choice. After seeing Dr. Thorne turn into a monster and plummet off the cliff with Annabeth, you would think nothing else could shock me. But when this 12-year-old girl told me she was the goddess Artemis, I said something real intelligent like, Oh, okay. That was nothing compared to Grover. He gasped and then knelt hastily in the snow and started yammering, Thank you, Lady Artemis. You're so, you're so, uh, wow. Uh, get up, goat boy, Talia snapped. We've got other things to worry about. Annabeth is gone. Whoa, Bianca D'Angelo said. Hold up, time out. Everybody looked at her. She pointed her finger at all three of us in turn like she was trying to connect the dots. Who are you people? Artemis's expression softened. It might be a better question, my dear girl, to ask who you are. Who are your parents? Bianca glanced nervously at her brother, who was still looking in awe at Artemis. Our parents are dead, Bianca said. We're orphans. There's a bank trust that pays for our school, but... She faltered. I guess she should... I guess she could tell from our faces we didn't believe her. What? she demanded. I'm telling the truth. You are a half-blood, Zoe Nightshade said. Her accent was hard to place. It sounded old-fashioned, like she was reading from a really old book. One of thy parents was mortal. The other was an Olympian. An Olympian? 
athlete? No, Zoe said. One of the gods. Cool, said Nico. No, Bianca's voice quavered. This is not cool. Nico danced around like he needed to use the restroom. Does Zeus really have lightning bolts to do 600 damage? Does he get extra movement points for... Nico, shut up. Bianca put her hands to her face. This is not your stupid mythomagic game, okay? There are no gods. As anxious as I felt about Annabeth, all I wanted to do was search for her. I couldn't help feeling sorry for the D'Angelos. I remembered what it was like for me when I first learned I was a demigod. Annabeth must have been feeling something similar because the anger in her eyes subsided a little. Bianca, I know it's hard to believe, but the gods are still around. Trust me, they're immortal, and whenever they've got kids with regular humans, kids like us, well, our lives are dangerous. Dangerous? Bianca said. Like the girl who fell? Talia turned away. Even Artemis looked pained. Do not despair for Annabeth, the goddess said. She was a brave maiden. If she can be found, I shall find her. Then why don't you let us go look for her? I asked. She is gone. Can't you sense it, son of Poseidon? Some magic is at work. I do not know exactly how or why. But your friend has vanished. I still wanted to go jump off the cliff and search for her, but I had a feeling Artemis was right. Annabeth was gone. If she'd been down there in the sea, I thought, I'd be able to feel her presence. Oh! Nico raised his hand. What about Dr. Thorne? That was awesome how you shot him with the arrows. Is he dead? He was a manticore. Artemis said. Hopefully he is destroyed for now, but monsters never truly die. They reform over and over again, and they must be hunted whenever they appear. Or they'll hunt us, Talia said. Bianca D'Angelo shivered. That explains? Nico, you remember last summer those guys who tried to attack us in the alley in D.C.? And that bus driver, Nico said. The one with the ram's horns. I told you that was real. That's why Grove has been watching you, I said. To keep you safe, if you turned out to be half-bloods. Grover? Bianca stared at him. You're a demigod? Well, a, a satyr, actually. He kicked off his shoes and displayed his giant goat hooves. I thought Bianca was going to faint right there. Grover, put your shoes back on, Talia said. You're freaking her out. Hey, my hooves are clean. Bianca, I said, we came here to help you. You and Nico need training to survive. Dr. Thorne won't be the last monster that you meet. You need to come to camp. Camp? She asked. Camp Half-Blood, I said. It's where gods learn to do survival and stuff. You can join us, stay there year-round if you like. Sweet, let's go, said Nico. Wait, Bianca shook her head. I don't... There is another option, Zoe said. No, there isn't, Talia said. Zoe and Talia glared at each other. I didn't know what they were talking about, but I could tell there was a bad history between them. 
For some reason, they seriously hated each other. We've burdened these children enough, Artemis announced. Zoe, we will rest here for a few hours. Raise the tents, treat the wounded, retrieve our guests' belongings from the school. Yes, my lady. And Bianca. And Bianca, come with me. I would like to speak with you. What about me? Nico asked. Artemis considered the boy. Perhaps you can show Grover how to play that card game you enjoy? I'm sure Grover would be happy to entertain you for a while. As a favor to me? Grover just about tripped over himself getting up. You bet. Come on, Nico. Nico and Grover walked off toward the woods, talking about hit points and armor ratings and a bunch of other geeky stuff. Artemis led a confused-looking Bianca along the cliff. The hunters began unpacking their knapsacks and making camp. Zoe gave Talia one more evil look, and then left to oversee things. As soon as she was gone, Talia stamped her foot in frustration. The nerve of those hunters! I think they're so... I'm with you, I said. I don't trust... Oh, you're with me, are you? Talia turned on me furiously. What were you thinking about there in the gym, Percy? You thought that you could take on Dr. Thorne all by yourself? He knew! You knew he was a monster! If we'd stuck together, we couldn't... You take on Dr. Thorne all by yourself? He... Good, good grief, I can't touch this one! Oof! You take on Dr. Thorne all by yourself? You knew he was a monster! If we'd stuck together, we could have taken him on without the hunters getting involved. Annabeth might still be here. Did you think about that? My jaw clenched. I thought of some harsh things to say, and I might have said them too. But then I looked down and saw something navy blue lying in the snow at my feet. Annabeth's New York Yankees baseball cap. Talia didn't say another word. She wiped a tear from her cheek, turned and marched off, leaving me alone with a trampled cap in the snow. Leaving me alone with a trampled cap in the snow. The hunters set up their camping site in a matter of minutes. Several large tents, all of silver silk, curved in a crescent around one side of a bonfire. One of the girls blew a silver dog whistle, and a dozen white wolves appeared out of the woods. They began trampling the guards... <laughs> Not even close! They began circling the camp like guard dogs. The hunters walked among them and fed them treats, completely unafraid, but I decided I would stick close to the tents. Falcons watched us from the trees their eyes flashing the firelight, and I got a feeling they were on guard duty too. Even the weather seemed to bend to the goddess's will. The air was still cold, but the wind died down and the snow stopped falling, so it was almost pleasant sitting by the fire. Almost. Except for the pain in my shoulder and the guilt weighing me down. I couldn't believe Annabeth was gone. And as angry as I was at Talia, I had a sinking feeling she was right. It was my fault. 
What had Annabeth wanted to tell me in the gym? Something serious, she had said. Now I might never find out. I thought about how we'd danced together for half a song, and my heart felt even heavier. I watched Talia pacing in the snow at the edge of camp, walking among the wolves without fear. She stopped and looked back at Westover Hall, which was now completely dark, looming on the hillside beyond the woods. I wondered what she was thinking. Seven years ago, Talia had been turned into a pine tree by her father, to prevent her from dying. She had stood her ground against an army of monsters on top of Half-Blood Hill in order to save her friends, Luke and Annabeth, by giving them time to escape. She'd only been back as a human for a few months now, and once in a while she would stand so motionless you'd think she was still a tree. Finally, one of the hunters brought me my backpack. Grover and Nico came back from their walk, and Grover helped to fix up my wounded arm. It's green, Nico said with delight. Hold still, Grover told me. Yeah, eat some ambrosia while I clean that out. I winced as he dressed the wound, but the ambrosia square helped. It tasted like homemade brownie, dissolving in my mouth and sending a warm, fuzzy feeling through my whole body. Between that and the magic salve Grover used, my shoulder felt better within a couple of minutes. Nico rummaged through his own bag, which the hunters had apparently packed for him, though how they'd snuck into Westover Hall unseen I didn't know. Nico laid out a bunch of figurines in the snow, little battle replicas of Greek gods and heroes. I recognized Zeus with a lightning bolt, Ares with a spear, Apollo with his sun chariot. It's a big collection, I said. Nico grinned. I've got almost all of them, plus their holographic cards. Well, except for a few really rare ones. You've been playing this game for a long time? Just this year. Before that... He knit his eyebrows. What? I asked. I forget. That's weird. He looked unsettled, but it didn't last long. Hey, can I see that sword that you were using? I showed him Riptide and explained how it turned from a pen into a sword just by uncapping it. Cool. Does it ever run out of ink? Well, um, I actually, I don't, <laughs> I don't write with it. Are you really a son of Poseidon? Well, yeah. Can you surf really well then? I looked at Grover, who was trying hard not to laugh. Geez, Nico, I said. I've never really tried. He went on asking questions. Did I fight a lot with Talia since she was the daughter of Zeus? I didn't answer that one. If Annabeth's mother was Athena, the goddess of wisdom, why didn't Annabeth know better than to fall off a cliff? I tried not to strangle Nico after that one. Was Annabeth my girlfriend? At this point, I was ready to stick the kid into a meat-flavored sack and throw him to the wolves. I figured any second he was going to ask me how many hit points I had and I'd lose my cool completely, but then Zoe Nightshade came up to us. Percy Jackson. She had dark brown eyes and a slightly upturned nose. With her silver circlet and her proud expression, she looked so much like royalty that I had to resist the urge to stand up straight and say, Yes, ma'am. She studied me distastefully like I was a bag of dirty laundry she'd been sent to fetch. 
Come with me, she said. Lady Artemis decides. Lady Artemis wishes to speak with thee. Yep, it is going to be a long one tonight, folks. Swan Song, I am very sorry that uh, things have gotten a little wonky for you, but uh, I, I appreciate you doing so. It's good to see you back in here. Um, Rose says, this book starts with an emotional smackdown and keeps at it. It does kind of, doesn't it? It doesn't really let up very often. Uh, finally, Awkward Sushi says, I'm glad I could make it. I had to work early. I am glad you could as well. It's good to have you here, Awkward Sushi. Good to see you. We are uh, just now getting into chapter three. Zoe led me to the last tent, which looked no different from the others, and waved me inside. Bianca D'Angelo was seated right next to the auburn-haired girl, who was... who I still had trouble thinking of as Artemis. The inside of the tent was warm and comfortable. Silk rugs and pillows covered the floor. In the center, a golden brazier of fire seemed to burn without fuel or smoke. Behind the goddess, on a polished oak display stand, was her huge silver bow, carved to resemble gazelle horns. The walls were hung with animal pelts, black bear, tiger, and several others I didn't recognize. I figured an animal rights activist would have had a heart attack looking at all these rare skins, but maybe since Artemis was the goddess of the hunt, she could replenish whatever she shot? I thought she had another animal pelt lying next to her, and then I realized it was a live animal. A deer with glittering fur and horns, its head resting contentedly in Artemis's lap. Join us, Percy Jackson, the goddess said. I sat across from her on the tent floor. The goddess studied me, which made me uncomfortable. She had such old eyes for a young girl. Are you surprised by my age? She asked. Uh, a little. I could appear as a grown woman, or a blazing fire, or anything else I want. But this is what I prefer. This is the average age of my hunters, and all young maidens for whom I am patron. Before they go astray. Go astray? I asked. Grow up. Become smitten with boys become silly, preoccupied, insecure, forget themselves. Oh. Zoe sat down on Artemis's right. She glared at me as if all the stuff Artemis had just said was my fault, like I'd invented the idea of being a guy. You must forgive my hunters if they do not welcome you, Artemis said. It is very rare that we would have boys in this camp. Boys are usually forbidden to have contact with the hunters. The last one to see this camp... She looked at Zoe. Which one was it? That boy in Colorado, Zoe said. You turned him into a jackalope. Oh, yes. Artemis nodded, satisfied. I enjoy making jackalopes. At any rate, Percy, I've asked you... To come here so that you might tell me more about the manticore. 
Bianca has reported some of the disturbing things that the monster said, but she may not have understood them. I'd like to hear them from you. And so I told her. When I was done, Artemis put her hand thoughtfully on her silver bow. I feared this was the answer. Zoe sat forward. The scent, my lady? Yes. What scent? I asked. Things are stirring that have not been hunted in millennia, Artemis murmured. Pray so old, I had nearly forgotten them. She stared at me intently. We came here tonight sensing the manticore, but he is not the one I seek. Tell me again exactly what Dr. Thorne said. Um, I, I hate middle school dances. No, no, after that. He said somebody called the general was going to explain things to me. Zoe's face paled. She turned to Artemis and started to say something, but Artemis raised her hand. Go on, Percy, the goddess said. Well, then Thorne was talking about the great stir pot. Stirring? Stirring? Bianca corrected. Yeah, and he said, soon we shall have the most important monster of all, the one that shall bring about the downfall of Olympus. The goddess was so still, she could have been a statue. Maybe he was lying, I said. Artemis shook her head. No, he was not. I've been too slow to see the signs. I must hunt this monster. Zoe looked like she was trying very hard not to be afraid, but she nodded. We will have to leave right away, my lady. No, Zoe. I must do this alone. But, Artemis, this task is too dangerous even for the hunters. You know where I must start my search. You cannot go there with me. As... as you wish, my lady. I will find this creature, Artemis vowed, and I shall bring it back to Olympus by winter solstice. It will be all the proof I need to convince the Council of the Gods how much danger we are in. You know what the monster is? I asked. Artemis gripped her bow. Let us pray I am wrong. Can goddesses pray? I asked, because I'd never really thought about that. A flicker of a smile played across Artemis's lips. Before I go, before I go, Percy Jackson, I've got a small task for you. Does it involve getting turned into a jackalope? Sadly, no. I wanted to escort the hunters back to Camp Half-Blood. They can stay there, in safety, until I return. What? Zoe blurted out. But, Artemis, we hate that place. The last time we stayed there... Yes, I know, Artemis said. But I'm sure Dionysus will not hold a grudge just because of a little... misunderstanding. It's your right to use Cabin 8 whenever you need. Besides... I hear they rebuilt the cabins that you burnt down. Zoe muttered something about foolish campers. And now, there is one last decision to make. Artemis turned to Bianca. Have you made up your mind, my girl? Bianca hesitated. 
I'm still thinking about it. Uh, wait, I said. Thinking about what? They invited me to join the hunt. What? But you can't. You've got to come back to Camp Half-Blood so Chiron can train you. It's the only way that you're going to learn how to survive. It is not the only way for a girl, Zoe said. I couldn't believe I was hearing this. Bianca, camp is cool. It's got Pegasus stables and sword fighting arenas. And I, I, I mean, what do you get by joining the hunters? To begin with, Zoe said, immortality. I stared at her, and then at Artemis. She's kidding, right? Zoe rarely kids about anything, Artemis said. My hunters follow me on my adventures. They are my maidservants, my companions, my sisters in arms. Once they swear loyalty to me, they are indeed immortal, unless they fall in battle, which is unlikely, or break their oath. What oath? I said. To forswear romantic love forever, Artemis said. To never grow up, never get married, to be a maiden eternally. Like you. The goddess nodded. I tried to imagine what she was saying. Being immortal, hanging out with only middle school girls forever. I couldn't get my mind around it. So you just go around the country recruiting half-bloods? Not just half-bloods, Zoe interrupted. Lady Artemis does not discriminate by birth. All who honor the goddess may join. Half-bloods, nymphs, mortals. Which one are you, then? Anger flashed in Zoe's eyes. That is not thy concern, boy. The point is, Bianca may choose to join if she wishes. It is up to her. Bianca, this is crazy, I said. What about your brother? Nico can't be a hunter. Certainly not, Artemis agreed. He will go to camp. Unfortunately, that's the best boys can do. Hey, I protested. You can still see him from time to time, Artemis assured Bianca. But you will be free of responsibility. He will have the camp counselors to take care of him, and you will have a new family. Us. A new family, Bianca repeated dreamily. Free of responsibility. <laughs> Bianca, you can't do this, I said. It's nuts. She looked at Zoe. Is it worth it? Zoe nodded. It is. What do I have to do? Say this, Zoe told her. I pledge myself to the goddess Artemis. I... I pledge myself to the goddess Artemis. I shall turn my back on the company of men, except eternal maidenhood, and join the hunt. Bianca repeated the lines. Is that it? Zoe nodded. If Lady Artemis accepts, if Lady Artemis accepts thy pledge, then it is binding. 
I accept it, Artemis said. The flames in the brazier brightened, casting a silver glow over the room. Bianca looked no different, but she took a deep breath and opened her eyes wide. I feel stronger. Welcome, sister, Zoe said. Remember your pledge, Artemis said. It is now your life. I couldn't speak. I felt like a trespasser and a complete failure. I couldn't believe I'd come all this way and suffered so much only to lose Bianca to some eternal girls' club. Do not despair, Percy Jackson, Artemis said. You will still get to show the D'Angelo's your camp, and if Nico so chooses, he can stay there. Great, I said, trying not to sound surly. How are we supposed to get there? Artemis closed her eyes. Dawn is approaching. Zoe, break camp. You must get to Long Island quickly and safely. I shall summon a ride from my brother. Zoe didn't look too happy about this idea, but she nodded and told Bianca to follow her. As she was leaving, Bianca paused in front of me. I'm sorry, Percy, but I want this. I really, really do. Then she was gone, and I was left alone with the twelve-year-old goddess. So, I said glumly, we're gonna get a ride from your brother, huh? Artemis's silver eyes gleamed. Yes, my boy. You see, Bianca D'Angelo is not the only one with an annoying brother. It's time for you to meet my irresponsible twin, Apollo. There we go, folks. And that, believe it or not, marks the halfway point of this stream, which is wild and means that we need to cover some more ground. Let's get in there, shall we? Okay, so really quickly, a bit of review and a chatterbreak question. I'll start with the chatterbreak question, then I'll do review to give you all time to sort of like jump in there and answer. Um, Dahlia says, well, we'll start with awkward sushi. Sushi says, I work in the cement building, so right now I have the ring of death. Oh, I'm so sorry. That is, I'm so sorry, Awkward Sushi. I hate that. Um, we, I've got a, a place that I frequent that is same issue, exact same issue. Dolly says, reminder that, uh, the reminder that immortality doesn't equal invincibility. It also makes sense that they'd swear off romance and relationships. Those are naturally casualties of living forever. Avoiding the grief of watching partners and lovers die while you remain the same. Yeah, to, I mean, to say goodbye to someone that you love is hard enough, but to have to do it many, many times, people who you've shared literal lifetimes with to have to say goodbye to them, like that is, that's harsh. That's a lot, right? <laughs> Gwen Dog says, halfway point. I love you catch-up streams. Oh boy. Yep, that is that is the curse of vampires. Kerfo says she's going to have to say goodbye to her brother when he dies. Indeed. And so I want you all to think about that. So that is going to be our Chatterbrick question. What would what would cause someone in her position to 
say goodbye to the rest of her life and on a sudden, almost on a whim like this, you know, the, the offer, she didn't even know a lot of this stuff existed until about, you know, three hours ago. And now, here she is accepting this totally wild offer. Well, there you go. Think about that. I want y'all to, uh, to let me know what you think of it. And I think then this means that it is time for us to get moving on, moving on, because y'all, I'm not sure. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, oof. No, we still got a ways to go. Oh, baby. Okay. Let's, we got a jet. Chapter four. Talia torches New England. Artemis assured us that dawn was coming, but you could have fooled me. It was colder and darker and snowier than ever. Up on the hill, Westover Hall's windows were completely lightless. I wondered if the teachers had even noticed the D'Angelo's and Dr. Thorne were missing yet. I didn't want to be around when they did. With my luck, the only name Mrs. Gottschalk would remember was Percy Jackson, and I'd be the subject of a nationwide manhunt again. The hunters broke camp quickly as they'd set it up. I stood shivering in the snow, unlike the hunters who didn't seem to feel at all uncomfortable, and Artemis stared into the east like she was expecting something. Bianca sat off to one side, talking to Nico. I could tell from his gloomy face she was explaining her decision to join the hunt. I couldn't help thinking how selfish it was of her, abandoning her brother like that. Talia and Grover came up and huddled around me, anxious to hear what had happened in my audience with the goddess. When I told them, Grover turned pale. The last time that the hunters visited camp, it did not go so well. How'd they even show up here? I wondered. I mean, they just appeared out of nowhere. And Bianca joined them, Talia said, disgusted. It's all Zoe's fault, that stuck up, no good. Who can blame her? Grover said. Eternity with Artemis? He heaved a big sigh. Talia rolled her eyes. You satyrs, you're all in love with Artemis. Don't you get she'll never love you back? But she's so... into nature. Grover swooned. You're nuts, said Talia. Nuts and berries, Grover said dreamily. Yeah. Finally the sky began to lighten. Artemis muttered, "'About time. He's so lazy during the winter.' "'You're... you're waiting for sunrise?' I asked. "'For my brother, yes.' I didn't want to be rude. I mean, I knew the legends about Apollo, or sometimes Helios, driving a big sun chariot across the sky, but I knew that the sky was really a star about a zillion miles away. I'd gotten used to some of the Greek myths being true, but still, I didn't see how Apollo could drive the sun. It's not exactly like you think, Artemis said, like she was reading my mind. Oh, okay. I started to relax. So it's not like he'll be pulling up in a... There was a sudden burst of light on the horizon, a blast of warmth. Don't look, Artemis advised. Not until he parks. Parks? I averted my eyes and I saw that the other kids were doing the same. The light and warmth intensified until my winter coat felt like it was melting off of me. Then suddenly, the light died. I looked. 
and I couldn't believe it. It was my car. Well, the car I wanted anyway. A red convertible Maserati Spider. It was so awesome, it glowed. And then I realized it was glowing because the metal was hot. The snow had melted off around the Maserati in a perfect circle, which explained why I was now standing on green grass and my shoes were wet. The driver got out, smiling. He looked about 17 or 18, and for a second I had the uneasy feeling it was Luke, my old enemy. This guy had the same sandy hair and outdoorsy good looks, but it wasn't Luke. This guy was taller, with no scar on his face like Luke's. His smile was brighter and more playful. Luke didn't do much more than sneer and scowl these days. The Maserati driver wore jeans and loafers and a sleeveless t-shirt. Wow, Talia muttered. Apollo is hot. He's the sun god, I said. That's not what I meant. Little sister, Apollo called. If his teeth were any whiter, he could have blinded us without the sun car. What's up? You never call. You never write. I was getting worried. Artemis sighed. I'm fine, Apollo. And I'm not your little sister. Hey, I was born first. We're twins. How many millennia do we have to argue? So, what's up? He interrupted. Got the girls with you, I see. You all need some tips on archery? Artemis gritted her teeth. I need a favor. I've got some hunting to do alone. I need you to take my companions to Camp Half-Blood. Sure, sis. And then he raised his hands in a stop-everything gesture. Oh, oh, oh. I feel a haiku coming on. The hunters all groaned. Apparently, they'd met Apollo before. He cleared his throat and held up one hand dramatically. Green grass breaks through snow. Artemis pleads for my help. I am so cool. He grinned at us, waiting for applause. That, that last line was only four syllables, Artemis said. Apollo frowned. Was it? Yes. What about I am so big-headed? No, that's six syllables. Huh. He started muttering to himself. Zoe Nightshade turned toward us. Lord Apollo has been going through this haiku phase ever since he visited Japan. It's not as bad as the time he visited Limerick. If I had to hear one more poem starting with, There once was a goddess from Sparta. I've got it! Apollo announced. I am so awesome! That is five syllables! He bowed, looking very pleased with himself. And now, sis! Transportation for the hunters, you say, huh? Good timing! I was just about ready to roll. These demigods will also need a ride, Artemis said, pointing to us. Some of Chiron's campers. No problem, Apollo checked us out. Let's see. Italia, right? I've heard all about you. Talia blushed. Hi, Lord Apollo. Zeus's girl, yeah? Makes you my half-sister. Used to be a tree, didn't you? <laughs> I'm glad you're back. I hate it when pretty girls turn into trees. Man, I remember one time... Brother, Artemis said, you should get going. Oh, uh, right. 
Then he looked at me, and his eyes narrowed. Percy Jackson. Yeah, I, I mean, yes, sir. It seemed weird to be calling a teenager sir, but I'd learned to be careful with immortals. They tended to get offended easily. And then they blew stuff up. Apollo studied me. But he didn't say anything, which I found a little creepy. Well, he said at last, we better load up, huh? Ride only goes one way, west. And if you miss it, you miss it. I looked at the Maserati, which would see two people, max. There were about 20 of us. Cool car, Nico said. Thanks, kid, Apollo said. But how will we all fit? Oh. Huh. Apollo seemed to notice the problem for the first time. Well, yeah, I mean, I hate to change out of sports car mode, but I suppose... He took out his car keys and beeped the security alarm button. For a moment, the car glowed brightly again. When the glare died, the Maserati had been replaced by one of those turtle-top shuttle buses like we used for school basketball games. All right, he said. Everybody in. Zoe ordered the hunters to start loading. She picked up her camping pack and Apollo said, Here, sweetheart, let me get that. Zoe recoiled. Her eyes flashed murderously. Brother, Artemis chided, You do not help my hunters. You do not look at, talk to, or flirt with my hunters, and you do not call them sweetheart. Apollo spread his hands. Sorry, I forgot. Hey, sis, where are you off to, anyway? Hunting, Artemis said. It's none of your business. I'll find out. I see all. No, all. Artemis snorted. Just drop them off, Apollo, and no messing around. No, no, I never mess around. Artemis rolled her eyes and then looked at us. I will see you by the winter solstice. Zoe, you are in charge of the hunters. Do well. Do as I would do. Zoe straightened. Yes, my lady. Artemis knelt and touched the ground as if looking for tracks. When she rose, she looked troubled. So much danger. The beast must be found. She sprinted toward the woods and melted into the snow and shadows. Apollo turned and grinned, jangling the car keys on his finger. So, he said, who wants to drive? The hunters piled into the van. They all crammed into the back so far away from... They all crammed into the back so they'd be as far away from Apollo as possible. And... Hmm. They all crammed into the back so they'd be as far away as possible from Apollo and the rest of us highly infectious males. Bianca sat with them, leaving her little brother to hang on in front with us. Which seemed cold to me, but Nico didn't seem to mind. This is so cool, Nico said, jumping up and down in the driver's seat. Is this really the sun? I thought Helios and Selene were the sun and moon gods. 
How come sometimes it's them and sometimes it's you and Artemis? Downsizing, Apollo said. The Romans started it. They couldn't afford all those temple sacrifices, so they laid off Helios and Selene and folded their duties into our job descriptions. My sis got the moon. I got the sun. It's pretty annoying at first, but at least I got this cool car. But how does it work? Nico asked. I thought the sun was a big fiery ball of gas. Apollo chuckled and ruffled Nico's hair. That rumor probably got started because Artemis used to call me a big fiery ball of gas. Seriously, kid, it depends on whether you're talking astronomy or philosophy. You want to talk astronomy? <laughs> what fun is that? You want to talk about how humans think about how sun... How sun? You want to talk about how the humans think about the sun? Now that is more interesting. They've got a lot riding on the sun so to speak. It keeps them warm, it grows their crops, it powers their engines, makes everything look like sunnier. This chariot is built out of human chariot. <laughs> What's up, Doc? This chariot is built out of human dreams about the sun, kid. It's as old as Western civilization. Every day it drives across the sky from east to west, lighting up all those puny little mortal lives. The chariot is a manifestation of the sun's power, the way mortals perceive it. Make sense? Nico shook his head. No. Well, then just think of it as like a really powerful, really dangerous solar car. Can I drive? No, you're too young. Ooh, ooh! Grover raised his hand. Uh, no, Apollo said. Too furry. He looked past me and focused on Talia. Daughter of Zeus, he said. Lord of the sky, perfect. Oh, no. Talia shook her head. No, thanks. Come on, Apollo said. How old are you? Talia hesitated. I don't know. It was sad, but true. She'd been turned into a tree when she was 12, but that had been seven years ago. So she should be 19 if you went by years, but she still felt like she was 12, and if you looked at her, she seemed somewhere in between. The best Chiron could figure, she had kept aging while in tree form, but much more slowly. Apollo tapped his finger to his lips. Huh. You're... 15. Almost 16. How do you know that? Hey, I'm the god of prophecy. I, I know stuff. You'll turn 16 in about a week. That's my birthday. December 22nd. Which means you're old enough now to drive with a learner's permit. Just a moment. Uh, hold for sound. I mean, maybe hold for sound. Maybe this is just the sky cops coming after him. Bump the, bump the brakes. No, that's definitely getting closer. That's no good. It's far away and getting closer, which means it's just me and all of y'all and the sirens. We just get to hang out here, enjoy this. 
I do want to be clear. I really appreciate what they're doing. I've certainly, certainly my reading should not take precedent over whatever it is they're attending to, but <laughs> the pattern, the pattern did me no favors. Okay, there we go. What? <laughs> and Dolly just says, what the devil? What the devil? Excuse me? Pardon? What the devil's all this? All right, let me see. Uh, I just had something pop up in, in my work Discord, so I have to check that super quickly. Hmm. Oh, I see. Okay. Yep. Just a little like odd little work thing, I guess. It's fine. No biggie. All right. Let's see. And I got to make sure I'm over in the right channel because uh, uh, y'all y'all been talking in Discord as well. A raven. <laughs> Jade has uh, been touching up some paint at work. And thank you, by the way, Jade, for hitting me with the Cyclops reminder. The Bean Queen shall never be a burden upon the stream. Tell her henceforth her presence is appreciated. I certainly shall. Everyone's feeling, like, kind of regal today. Ooh. Ooh. French Fry says, I really like book three, but I think book four might be my favorite of the original series. Well... French Fry, I have got great news for you. We are just rereading these because I missed them on vacation. Well, I, I got bad recordings on vacation, so I wanted to come back to it. Um, which means that either next week or the week after, I'm going to have a vote in Discord just to find out sort of what tolerance y'all have for this. Um, question is, either, either the week after next week or two weeks after. Uh, well, I'll let you... Well, no. Next week or the week after. Good grief. Go ahead and cut that out of the whole thing. Uh... <laughs> We're going to be getting into book four because that is what we're doing very soon. This is just some pickups uh, that we missed from vacation. So there you go. Very soon. It's coming soon, French fry. That's my birthday. December 22nd. Which means you're old enough now to drive with a learner's permit. Talia shifted her feet nervously. Um. I know what you're going to say, Apollo said. You don't deserve an honor like driving the sun chariot. That's not what I was going to say. Don't sweat it. Maine to Long Island is like a really short trip. And don't worry about what happened to the last kid that I trained. You are Zeus's daughter. He is not going to blast you out of the sky. Apollo laughed good-naturedly. The rest of us didn't join him. Talia tried to protest, but Apollo was absolutely not going to take no for an answer. He hit a button on the dashboard, and a sign popped up along with the top of the windshield. And a sign popped up along the top of the windshield. I had to read it backward, which, for a dyslexic, really isn't that different from reading forward. I was pretty sure it said, Warning, Student Driver. Take it away, Apollo told Talia. You're going to be a natural. I'll admit I was jealous. I couldn't wait to start driving. A couple of times that fall, my mom had taken me out to Montauk when the beach road was empty and she'd let me try out her Mazda. I mean, yeah, that was a Japanese compact and this was the Sun Chariot, but how different could it really be? Speed equals heat, 
Apollo advised. So start slowly and make sure you got good altitude before you really open her up. Talia gripped the wheel so tight her knuckles turned white. She looked like she was going to be sick. Uh, what's wrong? I asked her. Nothing, she said shakily. Nothing's wrong. She pulled back on the wheel. It tilted and the bus lurched upward so fast I fell back and crashed against something soft. Ow, Grover said. Sorry. Slower, Apollo said. Sorry, Talia said. I got it under control. I managed to get to my feet. Looking out the window, I saw a smoking ring of trees from the clearing where we'd taken off. Talia, I said. You want to lighten up on the accelerator? I've got it, Percy, she said, gritting her teeth. But she kept it floored. Loosen up, I told her. I'm loose, Talia said. She was so stiff she looked like she was made out of plywood. We need to veer south for Long Island, Apollo said. Hang a left. Talia jerked the wheel again and threw me into Grover, who yelped. The other left, Apollo suggested. I made the mistake of looking out the window again. We were at airplane height now, so high that the sky was starting to look black. Ah, <laughs> uh, Apollo said, and I got the feeling he was forcing himself to sound calm. A little lower, sweetheart. Uh, Cape Cod is freezing over. Talia tilted the wheel. Her face was chalk white, her forehead beaded with sweat. Something was definitely wrong. I'd never seen her like this. The bus pitched down and somebody screamed. Maybe it was me. We were heading toward the Atlantic Ocean, straight toward it, at a thousand miles an hour, and New York coastline was right off the New England coastline off to our right, and it was getting hot in the bus. Apollo had been thrown somewhere into the back of the bus, and he started climbing up the row of seats. Take the wheel, Grover begged him. No worries, Apollo said. He looked plenty worried. She's just got to learn to... Whoa! I saw what he was seeing. Down below us was a little snow-covered New England town. At least, it used to be snow-covered. As I watched, the snow melted off the trees and the roofs and the lawns. The white steeple on a church turned brown and started to smolder. Little plumes of smoke like birthday candles were popping up all over town. Trees and rooftops were catching fire. Pull up! I yelled. It was a wild light in Talia's eyes. She yanked back on the wheel and I held on this time. She yanked back on the wheel and I held on this time. As we zoomed up, I could see through the back window that fires in the town were being snuffed out by a sudden blast of cold. There! Apollo pointed. Long Island, dead ahead! Let's slow down here. Dead is only an expression. Talia was thundering toward the coastline of northern Long Island. There was Camp Half-Blood, the valley, the woods, the beach. I could see the dining pavilion and the cabins and the amphitheater. I'm under control, Talia muttered. I'm under control. We were only a few hundred yards away now. Break, Apollo said. I can do this. Break! Talia slammed her foot on the brake, and the bus pitched forward at a 45-degree angle, slamming into Camp Half-Blood Canoe Lake with a huge... <laughs> steam billowed up, sending several frightened naiads scrambling out of the water with half-woven wicker baskets. 
The bus bobbed to the surface along with a couple of capsized, half-melted canoes. Well, said Apollo with a brave smile, you were right, my dear. You had everything under control. Let's go see if we boiled anybody important, shall we? And there we have it, the end of another chapter. End of our fourth out of six chapters for the evening. We got a jet, folks. We got a jet. That was, I think, our shortest one of the night. But I think our next one might be, like, our next two are, our next one's the longest. And then there's another long one after that. So we got we to gotta hurry. We got to hustle up. Um, however... I am going to take another break. I'm going to do it for the preservation of my voice. I'm going to try and I'm going to try and take care of myself here, not be an absolute fool. Thank you for the stretch reminders, folks. That's a good, a good thing to remind myself about. So I appreciate your help. I do have to get rehydrated because I'm running low on one of these. I I I have started to take two of these to my desk every time now, and I have already had I already filled up one of them. So I've had three of these in one stream so far. I think if my math is correct, two or three of them. Dolly says, I had quite a lot to say about your questions that you posed, Sam, and I think that we should certainly get to them. Um, let me let me do that first. Let me, let's talk about that one first. Um, because, yeah, I think it's it's significant. Um, this The Chatterbreak question was, what would drive someone like Bianca to choose this life, this life that they are going to uh, sort of bring her off on this merry adventure of becoming a hunter? Uh, Dolly says... Your life as of yet would have to be a pretty horrific thing to make such a commitment, especially so quickly, says Dahlia. It seems her desperation for belonging and a family is her main desire, as they would be her new family for the rest of eternity and will never abandon her, just like she has been up until now. Yes, indeed. Uh, Dahlia goes on to say, it doesn't even matter that her brother will be left behind with mortality. Her desires for eternal community far outweigh her desire to be there with her brother or him for her. Yes, when you're young, you tend to make rushed decisions about thinking, without thinking them through fully, nor understanding the true ramifications of such commitments. Yes, I think the the desire to be not something, right? The desire to live in opposition to something rather than affirmationally. Uh, we've talked about this plenty of times with uh, Harry Potter, I think. Uh, certainly with The Great Gatsby, this came up quite a bit. I just realized I do that a lot, don't don't I? This thing, this thing, certainly with this other thing. I just realized I have that. That's something I say, I say that like that a lot, don't I? I'm driving myself nuts doing all this editing because I'm just sort of realizing all of the different things that I do and the weird ticks that I have and strange stuff. Ugh. Certainly with, with The Great Gatsby. Anyway, um, the idea of living sort of in opposition to something, living to not be something. For instance, I want to grow up and make sure that when I grow up, I am not like this parent, you know, or I want to grow up and when I grow up, I want to make sure I am not as, as, you know, uh, uh, as I'm trying to, I'm trying to be really gentle because I've got a lot of like really strong family relationships. We'll, we'll do, we'll do not, not that. When I grow up, I want to be not uh, a jerk like my boss or when I grow up I want to be not uh, you know not this or not that that is a hard way to live and you you'll end up sort of doing a lot for that 
Uh, Dalia says, it's not a bad thing whatsoever using references for comparison. Indeed, but like the actual pattern with which I do it is just funny. This thing and this thing, certainly this third thing, it's that certainly that gets me. Because I, I just realized I do that quite a bit. Anyway, um, yeah, I think it, it starts to put you in kind of a desperate position. It does seem like Bianca is not living to not living toward freedom, not living toward independence, not living toward, um, you know, being a, uh, a caretaker. She's living to get away from something, to get away from a feeling of responsibility, away from uh, a sense of loneliness, because I think from her perspective, and this is not, this is not me sort of casting aspersions here. I certainly understand and myself, I think, I think everybody experiences something where part of their life is dedicated to not being something. And that doesn't give you a direction, it just gives you one place you shouldn't go. And so it doesn't guarantee you won't end up in that place you don't want to go, but it certainly doesn't give you a good place you'll end up. A good target to aim for. But yeah, Bianca's not living toward things as much as she's living, trying to live a life that is just, just gets away from loneliness or gets away from responsibility. We're going to learn more about this in future chapters. Of course, you know, I'm coming at this from a, a future perspective. I'm going to try to keep these things lined up nicely so there's not a lot of overlap. But, folks, Dahlia says not having uh, only, not only having positive role models, but also negative ones are absolutely a thing. Some, unfortunately, have negative role models that they strive not to be. Uh, and that is the only basis for morality and growth that some people have. Indeed, yes, uh, yeah, some people, that, that sort of point of reference, that point of comparison, I would argue it plays a much bigger part than any sense of like objective morality. I think that's that's really tough for people. Um, I, 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 I think my personal theory is that our senses of morality are couched almost entirely in positive and negative role models. But that's a pretty heady discussion that I would love to have potentially sometime when we don't have quite so much to do. So I'm gonna take another break. I'm gonna sit here and just, actually I'm gonna lay down and uh, just silently rest my voice, grab a little water. I'll see y'all in five minutes, okay? I'll see y'all in five. We got chapters. Bye-bye.